Ahoy hoy, everybody. Welcome to a special hijacking of the Talking Simpsons feed. What's happening here, Henry? What's going on? Uh, well, as uh, some listeners may not know on this feed, but me and Bob have a sister podcast called What a Cartoon, where we cover an animated series just like we do The Simpsons every week. And this week... For our April Fools, we actually covered a live action cartoon, and I think it's one that listeners to Talking Simpsons are really going to enjoy because it has a lot of close connections to The Simpsons you may not be aware of. That's right, we covered the classic Fox cult sitcom Get a Life starring Chris Elliott, but more importantly, showrun by David Merkin, the showrunner for seasons five and six of The Simpsons, and Get a Life has a lot in common with The Simpsons. Oh, yes. Yeah. You, you can pretty much see the through line from the end of season two of Get a Life to season five of The Simpsons and me and Bob. I think every time Chris Elliott's character does a thing that a Merkin Homer did, we're like, oh, yeah, Mer Homer did that. Like, so uh, I think you guys will learn quite a lot uh, from that. Definitely. We also give the bios of people like uh, Chris Elliott and David Merkin, where they came from, what they're doing now, and their uh, showbiz histories. All yes, very fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah, including uh, maybe some Hollywood dirt as well. Ooh, it's, there's some uh, behind-the-scenes tension. Yeah, it's it's a really fun podcast, and if you enjoy that, please check out the What a Cartoon feed on wherever you find podcasts, or if you uh, sign up at the Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. In addition to the week ahead of time and ad free Simpsons podcast, you also get every What a Cartoon podcast in the same RSS mm -hmm. feed. So consider signing up for that today. But at the very least, I hope you enjoyed this What a Cartoon and check out the other cool stuff we're doing there. Cartoons from present in the past. Every week will be an animated bash. Yeah. What a cartoon! Hello, everybody, and welcome to What a Cartoon, the podcast that's still searching for a cure for sour stomach. I'm one of your hosts, the dangerous but necessary Bob Mackey, and this is an audio exploration of every cartoon ever who is here with me today. Henry Gilbert, and I thought today was one of those days I was semi-solid <laughs> and cars would pass right through me. And today's episode is all about the Get a Life episode, Girlfriend 2000. Oh, what a perfect day. <laughs> so lucky to be able to live in such a nice, beautiful safe neighborhood and welcome once again to our very predictable april fool's prank on you <laughs> where we cover a live action cartoon the first time we did this it was strangers with candy last year it was the adventures of pete and pete and now we're doing get a life a very important piece in the simpsons puzzle oh yeah you're a big time simpsons fan and you know us from our first show talking simpsons then you are probably big fans of seasons five and six show run by dave merkin but if you've never seen Get a Life, it is an unlocking experience of like, oh, mm -hmm. this didn't come out of nowhere, the Merkin years. It's all there in Get a Life. And yeah, this was a cult favorite of 90s kids for comedy nerds. Though, you know, I watched it some as a kid, but I'd never seen the complete series. It did get some, you know, best of DVDs and VHSs, and I did watch those. But I never sought out the full series until it finally came out in the, the DVD set. Yeah, it was widely unavailable until 20 
2012 unless you went on YouTube or found, you know, people who had ripped them from VHS tapes. But yeah, I did watch a lot of this as a kid. And and all of my memories as a child are about watching TV. So (laughs) I have a very vivid memory of watching the episode Neptune 2000. That's the episode in which they build a submarine in their shower and almost die. And it broke so many sitcom rules that I had, you know, inscribed in my head that it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Here's another sad thing about me. Uh, <laughs> when I grew up, I didn't have a dad for a while. So mm. on TV, I was just finding father figures and different characters. So one of them was Launchpad. <laughs> one of them was Peter Venkman from The Real Ghostbusters. And one of them was Chris Peterson. Oh, wow. I thought Chris Peterson could be a really cool dad. <laughs> so that explains how warped I am today. Oh, wow. That really... And why I shouldn't have children. <laughs> and Chris peterson is the type of guy who watched tv his entire life and lives by it it's true that's one of my favorite things about peterson and and definitely i live a life reflecting that too of like oh well i saw this thing on a tv show it must be true or like i remember this old (laughs) tv show there's a joke where he says that doesn't listen to people or take in information because he always has old tv show theme songs playing on a loop in his head except for him it's the 70s and for us it's the 90s yes yeah like it alive upon watching this it made me remember what a big chris elliott fan i am and whenever he shows up in something i'm delighted Mm -hmm. and i've read all of his books and i kind of seek out everything he does i love eagle heart and i have one other story it's that one year ago, sorry, no, no, 10 years ago, big difference in numbers there. <laughs> when I first moved to the Bay Area, I decided to check out this new town called Berkeley that I was living in. And, Yo, let's just go into random stores. And I went into the Half Price Books and I found a very special book. I'm digging in my <sighs> book bag right now. I found this book in Half Price Books and I've held on to it ever since. Daddy's Boy, Whoa, Chris wow. Elliott's first book, which is a parody of Mommy Dearest about him and his dad. Oh, that's amazing. The original, oh, that is classic. Made oh. before Get a Life. It was made based on his Letterman fame and wow. his, I guess, Showtime special fame. But yeah, this was my welcome mat to the Bay Area. Just oh. like, welcome, Bob. Cool people live here. That's amazing. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't just walk into a store and find that in your you know boring suburban town that is so cool i treasure the first purchases of like comic books i made when i came to berkeley and realized it was a cool town but yeah you know i got to more center my idea of like that chris elliott is one of the biggest like comedy geniuses and most groundbreaking people especially just in in the world of american comedy of our lifetimes like because all of his work led the way of like what weirdness could be on television and he he pushed envelopes in so many different ways i got super into eagle heart that was it's one of my top five adult swim shows and maybe that'll be in two years from now we'll do Mm. that but i got to go to a uh, been in the same room as chris elliot once for uh, an eagle heart season two panel that they did and and it was just so great like i i asked the dumb question to the <laughs> other people on stage who were just like are you guys intimidated writing for chris elliot such a you know an important figure and i, I think i made everyone uncomfortable with that question <laughs> that's the point of any q a panel <laughs> yeah but i think my question was good but uh well, yeah. the tragedy of chris elliot is that the mass market was not ready for him and these little niche markets that he'd be perfect for did not exist yet yeah. if he was born 10 years later he could have been a tim and eric style person but he tried to make it work in the mass market and they said no thanks to you chris elliott you're weird looking but chris elliott is the most normal looking guy on earth i think they were just weirded out by a young man with a beard which wasn't happening at that time period (laughs) a beard and being openly bald yeah just you know well he wants to look weird he likes to look at you and have a weird look on his face and make you uncomfortable just by his way of existing and there just weren't places the closest thing to adult swim in the 80s 
was Letterman. Mm-hmm. It was this after midnight thing that the bosses were asleep and they could just do ridiculous bullshit and a perfect place for Chris Elliott and a whole generation of writers to grow up. But once it was like, how's it work if we give him his own show? Well, there wasn't really a place for him even on like HBO or Showtime and their networks didn't want his weird shit. The cl- and this was 1990 to 94 was the last time Chris Elliott got to be mainstream <laughs> and he got punished for the, for the rest of the 90s because of that. Cabin Boy destroyed him. And I like mm-hmm. Cabin Boy. I'm pro Cabin Boy. Yeah, it's a uh, pro Cabin Boy podcast. <laughs> I really feel bad for him and Adam Resnick that after Get a Life was so uh, a cult favorite, but uh, canceled and treated so poorly by execs. He then got to have a 10 times worse experience with a film and because it was much more money <laughs> that he was responsible if for. If only Tim Burton had actually directed that movie. Uh, it would have made him Pee Wee Herman, yeah. I think for sure. I mean, that's our personal histories with it, but what led to the creation of the show get a life which aired on fox in 1990 to 1992 well three main dudes to talk about they are the three credited creators of the show let's start with chris elliott we've been talking about him youngest child of the comedy duo bob and ray bob elliott Mm, one of the famous bobs yes now passed away unfortunately (laughs) the bobs are dwindling he was born in 1960 so perfect gen x age uh and he got into creative work very quickly following the footsteps of his dad i mean that book and other books joke about that he's like he does so many jokes about how in that in this show too they're like uh my dad hates me bob hates i disappoint him all the silly stuff but he loves his dad very much and and wanted to follow in his footsteps and look hey i don't like the nepotism that's in hollywood (laughs) it all turns but chris elliott's the one i give a pass for being like no he really is that good it's okay yeah and his dad is i mean his dad is notable but he is a radio comedian yeah so he's not the son of tom hanks or something like that yeah also he didn't grow up in hollywood like so many of these like imdb junior that's true yes pennsylvania (laughs) i think or maine i think so yeah Yeah. well by imdb junior that's a copywritten phrase of jack (laughs) allison the very funny guy but anyway so yes very quickly he got into the world of comedy and one of his earliest jobs was a a production assistant at the start of Late Night with David Letterman. And swiftly, he became a favorite of Dave's and head writer Meryl Marco. I mean, you look at him, he's funny. He's a funny guy. He'd be involved in like stupid pet tricks things. They're like, this guy's funny. I watched a ton of his stuff on Letterman. A lot of it's on YouTube, so check it out. Yeah, the the Don Giller channel or something. Something like that. It has has the entire guy under the seat saga, which I'm like halfway through. I can't wait to finish Mm -hmm. it tonight. But when I watch those sketches, I get the sense this is the only person david letterman ever liked yes yeah well no I he's heard- so tickled by chris <laughs> elliott he likes him though in one of my many elliott interviews i listened to he was like yeah dave liked me to a point but he said one time when he was in his marlon brando character he put his hand yeah. on dave and he was like after a few seconds dave was like that's enough touching right <laughs> pulls the hand away but yeah elliott in 1983 became a writer and performer on the show officially learning the ropes and trying a bunch of things in this like quick disposable world of after midnight comedy he he talks in other things about how like get a life he was unprepared for get a life and cabin boy because he was so used to on letterman 
that if you did one thing and it sucked, it's like, well, I got tomorrow. I'll just do a funnier thing then. Like, it's just, oh, if something doesn't succeed, I can just try the next time and nobody's going to punish me for doing bad at this. Not the case outside of Letterman, unfortunately. And yeah, there were characters like panicky guy, conspiracy guy, guy under the seats, fugitive guy. And Elliot was a breakout star of Letterman. It's funny to watch those uh, clips of him on Letterman because when he comes out, people explode with yes, applause and yeah. cheers. They love him. They can't wait to see him. I didn't <laughs> realize he was such a big guy on that show he became a real quick hit yeah you got to watch them all in sequence to see like oh sometimes the audience doesn't get what he's doing yeah. but mostly they like it and and yeah you compare it to you know what was edgy american humor then and he was in a completely different universe from stuff you know like snl or whatever like that the saturday night live is the ebersol era so it was the most like bro-y jocular the show an already jocular show mm -hmm. god but yeah elliot was such a big hit that he could actually star in his own one-off comedy specials for premium cable his first one being action family in 1986 which aired on cinemax it to me honestly feels like he went to the future and saw that he did get a life in Eagleheart. He's like, what if I did a thing that was both of those oh, shows in one? You're right. It is both of those because it's a 70s detective show. Mm -hmm. But when he comes home to his family, it turns into like a Brady Bunch style sitcom. Oh, it's so funny. It had a joke just last night that made me laugh now. It's so far ahead of its time. <laughs> it's a first person shot of him entering his detective office and his secretary, this woman comes up to him in first person view and she kisses the camera and then it pulls back to show both of them and because she kissed the camera in first person view she kissed his eye <laughs> and there's just a giant lipstick mark on his right eye and i was like this is the funniest thing i've ever seen and it's, of course uh, david letterman and bob elliott are in it david letterman is only in things that chris elliott does outside yes. of the late night show <laughs> he was supposed to be in an episode to get a life but <sighs> if you seen the one with martin mull which is good. Is that but Chris Wins a Celebrity? Is that's that Chris it? Chris Wins a Celebrity. Uh, yeah. It's so obviously made for David Letterman, but I think as Merkin would tell the story, David Merkin, I'll get to him. They all thought internally like, well, we'll definitely get Dave. And so let's just write this whole episode for Dave. And when it came time to ask Dave, they found out, oh, Letterman won't do this at all. Dave will show up with one line, like want to buy a monkey. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I mean, he didn't want to fly to LA. I think that was the big bit of it. But Action Family, look it up on YouTube because it was released on VHS. So there's a pretty good just scan of it and also on that same vhs was 1987 cinemax special fdr one man show which is also very hilarious that it is the character of chris elliott's like i can do a serious one man <laughs> show where i play fdr the whole time everything goes wrong in it and it's a very silly and one of his consistent things he does throughout his career is make these crazy revisionist histories of real life events yeah. uh, a lot of his books are about that too uh i mean the, the character of the arrogant idiot is such a comedy staple now but he did it in such a wonderfully specific way that like his arrogant idiot is based on him like looking so average but he's <laughs> yeah. like i'm so full of myself and then there's a great one in one of the letterman ones i watched of him saying like you know dave you should be in movies and dave's like yeah you know i, I really should give it and then chris <laughs> elliott goes fuck you we actually bought it Flip. yeah dave you should be in movies i also uh, like the skits where he's uh slightly psychotic because that's what the guy under the seats is because chris yes. will come out do a little bit about the guy who lives underneath the bleachers that all the uh, audience members sit on mm. and then he and dave will have a conversation about how the bit went and he takes everything extremely personally <laughs> and then he threatens to kill dave before <laughs> Before going back under the seats. <laughs> 
Uh, and just like in Get a Life, they play psychotic music as he's giving his threats to Dave. Oh, and Dave is yeah. not taking him seriously. He's like, now nah, you don't want to threaten people there, Chris. <laughs> I love, yeah, he's so good at that, the creepy stare. But if you watch the FDR ones in Action Family, you can see already what he wants to do with the medium of television and like this parody of sitcom and sitcom tropes. Like he wants to make a subversive thing. He doesn't want to make a mainstream show. He doesn't want to make, you know, the Hogan family or whatever or what we're seeing as standard vehicles for you know cosby shows i guess yeah. you'd say for uh, when you have like oh we got to make a sitcom built around a popular comedian it was usually in that template so that takes us up to the mid 80s which is when a young writer fresh out of nyu joins letterman named adam resnick uh first as an intern and then becoming a writer quickly gravitating to chris elliott as a creative partner in a 2012 interview with Resnick and Elliot together on uh, the Tom Sharpling's The Best Show, Elliot is very clear in his praise of Resnick, like still really likes him today and says like, if my best work was almost always with stuff Adam wrote for me and that they are just such a great team together. And I mean, you can see when Resnick joined, they did all the great guy stuff and other very funny Chris Elliott things. But after that, we're like Chris Elliott Downey Jr. segments or him as Marlon Brando or uh, one I really loved watching on that channel was his parody of Letterman where Chris Elliott hosts a three minute version of the Letterman show within Letterman. Yes. And he interrupts the show too to yeah. do it. And he's like, oh, we have via satellite David Letterman here. Dave, how's it going? Well, my show's <laughs> way better than yours, Dave. God, they're so good. But me and you didn't get to watch these in real time because we were like four yeah. when they happened. We watched him in the reruns of it and i was a letterman viewer at the very tail end of the nbc era in the early 90s and then throughout a cbs run probably till the late 90s but he had lost a lot of his edge and it was mm. completely gone by the 2000s but i saw like a hint of what i missed in the 80s in those uh, early 90s shows i i do feel it feels weird now that like i think David Letterman has recognized that a lot of the criticisms of him were like, you're a massive sexist and an asshole. And his way of dealing with that, like, I'll just grow a big beard and solemnly interview, you know, powerful people and be like, you're pretty great. Yeah. yeah like I, I would rather he instead use that kind of platform to uplift the next Chris Elliott. But like David Letterman is not going to be that keyed into young comedians to do that. No. You know? And going back to clips of him, it's so refreshing to see somebody who's not acting like Jimmy Fallon or jimmy kimmel just someone who's willing to be himself just a curmudgeon who doesn't uh, care could you imagine david letterman pretending to like you know rugrats or something no <laughs> let's sing the rugrats theme. i was uh, thinking yeah, he would never do karaoke with you oh god no uh you know that conan at least had some of that hate but even he was like ah it's a fun game i'm a fun clown he conan likes to entertain david letterman is just like huh How's that? Like, I, uh, going through that channel too, I just watched this running gag. That YouTube channel is great too because he cuts together bits as they continued on. Yeah, chronologically. One of the best ones I saw that I'd never seen before was that one time on the show, he praised a new Stevie Nicks music video. I was like, oh, it's a great music video. I'd love to have Stevie Nicks on. His people contacted Stevie Nicks's people and they sent him back a letter saying, please stop saying you'd want her on the show. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, then I'm just going to do a running gag. I'm going to promote the other shows she's on. He makes up terrible shows that Stevie Nixon is on <laughs> instead of his show. That kind of bitterness I appreciate. Yeah, that's biting the hand of he... Well, Elliot would say that that actually taught him a bad thing for his Hollywood career because, you know, he played this arrogant moron 
mocking his own appearance and likability for laughs and you really pitied him because he was such a jerk in his character elliot was so liked that he got cast in he has a, a small role in the manhunter film which was like the first cannibal lecter movie mm-hmm. and he's in the abyss as well he is so distracting in the abyss because chris <laughs> peterson finally got to go in a submarine his dream came true as elliot and resnick would tell the story in a 2012 interview they greatly regretted a real missed opportunity with james cameron because elliot tells the story that like james cameron loved him he thought he was super funny they joke like oh i'll be in all your movies now and so james cameron comes to late night to promote the abyss chris elliot with another writer on the show do a bit going like oh abyss is just this dumb movie where like i'm stuck in a pool like the whole time and he thought it was funny to goof on the abyss and elliot said when he came backstage when he thought it would have really entertained cameron he was instead furious because he was like now i have to go out and do this and he said the cameron i think never talked to him since oh james cameron (laughs) self-serious that sounds unlikely you know what they should have cast chris elliot in the billy zane role in titanic better movie way better movie oh man i'm just seeing it now in my head or is him as one of the below deck guys who's like we just love to party (laughs) i want to see him dancing a jig poor and muddy but rich in spirit (laughs) uh but yeah so on all that stuff elliot was doing mostly with adam resnick they were getting offers like elliot wasn't going to be on letterman forever you know he was hot hollywood wanted a piece of him here he is working in new york on the letterman show but they want a piece of him it's pretty obvious that chris elliot and whatever he was going to do he was going to take adam resnick with him they were just so in sync as writers together all right david merkin covered him a lot on talking simpsons yes Uh, short version is got to start as an aspiring comedian with a darker sensibility late 70s early 80s in hollywood lover of monty python mike nichols woody allen the smart comedy of the Mm -hmm. 70s like he was super into that and and wanted to make some of that for himself but his first writing gig after giving up on stand-up comedy would be on the seventh season (laughs) of three's company (laughs) i kind of want to look up his episodes because pluto tv has a three's company channel and i'm waiting for a merkin one to show up (laughs) see that there's any merkinisms in those well he becomes story editor in the eight and final season of it Mm. so he already moves up the ranks you can see ambition in merkin he doesn't just want to be some rank and file guy and instead of dumping on three's company of like oh i can't believe i worked on that he's like no it taught me everything about structure and i I learned so much about sitcoms there and how they got out on time yes yeah (laughs) then so merkin would then move on to newhart the 80s bob newhart show a different bob of comedy legend it was a fun and slightly strange sitcom though not you know as crazy as he'd like it to be he'd end up getting to show run the show in the later years he leaves in season six and he says like he wanted to do weirder dadaist stuff Mm -hmm. like he really was getting sick of the sitcom format like in a million of those interviews you don't need to prompt dave merkin much to say like all these sitcoms are bullshit they lie to you about what things are going to be like one of the interviews on the get a life dvd is talking to like steve papoon or jace richtail and one of them saying you know i almost went to the ferris bueller sitcom and he went that show is a piece of shit yes that yeah. show sucks uh, exactly I, I just love how candid he is <laughs> as, as long as a friend didn't work on it in a high position he, uh, he'll definitely say that after leaving newhart he's trying to make his own stuff he also did small work on the fox adjacent it's the gary shandling show which was on showtime that was the first thing i gravitated to on fox as a little kid i was way too young for 
understand really what it's the gary shandling show was but i like yeah. that it was cartoony he talked to the camera and be like well that's pretty silly huh folks or, and that is in the simpsons universe too as well yeah it got him in contact with sam simon and, and guys like that yeah. yeah and another thing and like i didn't realize that Newhart was a mary tyler moore production yeah so yeah. that puts him in the james brooks world as well so like he knew james brooks he wasn't just like uh i'll take merkin to run the show this Merkin guy seems neat. James L. Brooks was a fan of Dave Merkin. Merkin would say in 89 that uh, he was offered to join Simpsons, though. I wonder, I wouldn't think he'd be above Sam Simon or even at Sam Simon's level. I would think he'd hmm. be like below Sam Simon uh, in it. So I could also see that's why he would turn that down while wanting to work on his own things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the Gary Shandling show. He also talks about that it was kind of what he'd end up doing on the simpsons later which is like a day or two a week in the rewrite room while he could focus on trying to make his own shows so 88 89 merkin is trying to make a show another important thing about merkin is that he loves british comedy yeah. he aspires specifically in the 70s and 80s he aspires to make something like that in america he was trying to make a show with graham chapman 88 89 and sadly graham chapman passed away very quickly from cancer and so then he attempted to do a u.s version of the young ones called oh no not them and i think there's a pilot for that right yes at least. they made one pilot which he says tested through the floor <laughs> but he did it at mtm so another wow. mary tyler moore production and i'm sure we'll talk about it but he eventually made his own sketch show after get a life yes yeah he finally got to do that but on oh no not them he had hoped to get chris elliott in one of the lead roles but Elliot turned him down because Elliot wanted to make his own stuff. So that takes us to 1990. Merkin was a big fan of Elliot too because he was a giant Letterman fan. Like he, if you recall on Simpsons, unneedlessly, they did a pro Letterman couch gag right. when Merkin was in charge of just his way of saying, like, yeah, fuck Jay Leno. I, <laughs> uh, I'm on the Letterman team. After Oh No Not Them fails, Merkin's looking to get a new gig and wants then ready to run his own show. And they also talk up there's executives that did really like him. He fought with some executives, but he had other executives who were into his style of comedy. That includes Peter Chernin. So let's talk about him really quickly because he was like the protector of Get a Life at Fox. He was an ex-Showtime exec who was known to make noise with edgy series. He don't greenlit. Hmm. It's the Gary Shandling okay. show. Uh, and also this show that I'd never heard of before doing the research for this called Brothers. Had you ever heard? Okay. No. So in Peter Chernin's interviews in the extras on the DVDs, he says like, oh, I greenlit the first gay sitcom. I was like, well, wait, what is that? And I Googled it. Like there is some gray area to actually call it the first gay sitcom, but Showtime had a sitcom that ran over a hundred episodes. Really? Called Brothers about a close-knit group of three brothers and one of them comes out as gay. Hmm. And they actually deal with gay topics in a like been planned as a regular mainstream sitcom but they wanted to make it less gay and showtime's like let's go out there we can say get attention on us like oh yeah we've got the gay sitcom first ever gay sitcom a couple episodes are on youtube i've never watched it i've heard it holds up in some ways and not at all in others but i'll leave that to our friends at gayest episode ever to cover someday mm. i asked our friend drew and he's like i have heard of it we oh, probably cool. will do it but also worth mentioning on brothers regular on the series for the first four seasons robin Riker, who will go on to play oh, sharon oh i love her so a favorite of peter churn 
Chernin. And yeah, Chernin says, he's like, oh, I've got a twisted sense of humor. I really like Get a Life. Which like, yes, sir, boss. Yes. You, you, <laughs> he is the guy that made Fox air spewing me, the, uh, the yes. gross out episode of this show. He was the one defender of it there, I think, and made it. I mean, definitely, as far as execs go, he seems uh, not as brain dead as most. I'll say that in the interviews. He comes off all right. And then before I was feeling like ever liking Chernin too much, I looked up like, what's he been up to? Oh, so, no. <laughs> well, uh, he had rose to the rank of COO and president of News Corp from 1996 to 2009. You know, when Fox News was really getting going, he was there. I mean, it wasn't his division, but he was the president. But then he left News Corp in 09 because Rupert Murdoch just put his son in charge of it instead. Oh, how so, nice. Don't worry. Peter Chernin then started his own media company slash private equity firm. And I'm sure he's doing great work. He's part of uh, the funders of Barstool Sports, a great oh, organization. I can't believe he went from get a life to private equity. Uh, I mean, hey, you go where the money is, you know, what's he wants to he wants to be a billionaire, not a millionaire. The Bob. funny thing is now I just kind of shrug at Fox News because we have more psychotic news networks like Newsmax and oh, One yeah. American News Network. Oh, way yeah. more insane than Fox <laughs> News. Fox News. They probably welcome the One American News out there because they're like, see, we're not that bad. Give us a break. <laughs> Fox will not invite the MyPillow guy on. They will. <laughs> the only reason they stop inviting the MyPillow guy is because they're like, we don't get us in this class action yes. lawsuit, guys. We, we don't want to just give away a billion dollars. So Chernin is in charge of the Fox network and is looking to make noise. That's why they had so many controversial or edgy shows in, you know, the early 90s. And that includes taking a risk on, say, the first primetime animated sitcom mm -hmm. since the Flintstones. And I mean, you see, by the early 1990s, you've got Bartmania starting and Married with Children is still hot, hot, hot. And they've got In Living Color. They're looking for more fun stuff. And Fox was one of many networks that wanted to work with Elliot. And Elliot was definitely going to make something with Adam Resnick. Though, Adam Resnick was still full-time on Letterman, so he couldn't be in all of these meetings. But this is where it comes into, like, I hear Merkin on some of these things say, like, oh, and then Elliot brought in Adam Resnick. I more get the feeling from listening to the Elliot and Resnick conversations that Resnick was always planning this show with Elliot, and then Merkin seemed to see it as like, oh, no, Resnick joined later. But there's the feeling, all right, well, I guess let's talk yeah, about it. we haven't I mentioned mean. the creative tension. Uh, yes. that still persists 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, so Merkin will say that this is an approximation of Merkin's views on the events. Elliot was looking to make a show with a network. He was getting offered very safe things, and Merkin was one of the people who was telling him, don't do something safe, do something crazy. And Merkin was very much in the mindset of, I still want to make the American Young Ones, which if you watch Young Ones and Get a Life, you can definitely consider them of a piece for sure. Merkin sees it as he convinced Elliot to work with him to make this show and that David Merkin as the more experienced showrunner would be put in charge of it. And then Adam Resnick joined on and they created the show together and they would be the three leading forces on it. Elliot uh, doesn't agree so much with that version of events as Elliot carefully put it in a 2007 NPR interview. 
Adam and I created the show and then they wanted to bring in, you know, somebody who, you know, they could call a showrunner who would also get creative credit. And then the interviewer goes, isn't Hollywood great? No, no, it's not. That's why I live on the East Coast. So I think it is more likely that Merkin was an insistence on the network that didn't want to trust Adam and Elliot to run a show and that Merkin was brought in for it. Earlier in that interview, if you really want to know how Chris <laughs> Elliott feels about Dave Merkin... Well, uh, I want to play a clip from David Merkin, who's the executive producer oh, oh, of Get don't. Alive. It's please part of an don't. interview, a DVD of oh, the show. Oh, um, no, no, no. Chris Elliott, this Not is your life. <laughs> Let's oh, play that. Oh, oh. The show is purposely Can't. so uh, sarcastic uh, uh, and sort of uh, angrily uh, dripping uh, by uh, at most uh, of the time. Uh, In other words, uh, it was our reaction oh, of being really? inundated by oh, sitcoms that were oh, fake. Well, I guess you know. Sickly sweet. Well, what, what, oh, it wasn't your real. Cecil B. And so, you know, it really offended a lot wow. of oh, he did, uh, development we? people wow. on very deep oh. levels where they remembered wow. years oh, and well, years tell me later. More about no show, Get Alive, No Get Alive, and all of us wow. worked on the when, show when you put out those were DVDs? always suspect. That's really interesting. <laughs> I've never seen a commentary to the commentary. Now we're commenting on that. And that was 20 years after they made the show, too. Yes, he, yeah. he still is really pissed off. So, yeah, I mean, when you hear Elliot say things, in the, that was from 2007, him saying, like, oh, tell me about my show. It's yeah. like, there you go. Yeah. And so. The Elephant in the Room on the DVDs, which are great, by the way, they're still in print. I saw on Amazon. You can still buy them new. Commentary on every episode, you know, deleted scenes, all kinds of crazy stuff on the DVDs. Except for Chris Elliott is not on the DVDs. Mm -hmm. And Dave Merkin talks about him in glowing terms, but as if he's dead. Yep, yeah, because they never work together again. Yeah. And I will say there's something of a pattern you can see that David Merkin works with a lot of great people who will go on to do lots of great things, but the person they don't keep working with is Dave Merkin. Yeah. Very few people other than, I'd say, Jim Brooks and Matt Groening work with David Merkin on more than one project. I don't know what that says about his work attitude or how he runs things. I mean, there's that story in The Unauthorized Simpsons about him calling somebody an asshole and being pretty shitty in the writer's room to people. And then we have our interview with Bill Oakley saying that he and Josh Weinstein did not get along with Merkin, so they were kind of just sent off to write on their own. Yeah, yeah. In a more charitable 2012 interview, Elliot and Resnick were like, look, there's... We had a view of what the extras on that DVD should be. A third person didn't agree with us, and we decided not to be involved. And mm. you can figure out what else we're talking about here. I'm upset whenever DVD commentaries are recorded but not released because he and Adam Resnick recorded an entire commentary for all of season one. Right. That's lost yeah. of time. Just like how there are Simpsons commentaries that exist but aren't online or on DVDs because the <laughs> DVDs aren't existing and they were going to be on the FXX app, which does not exist anymore. So uh, yeah. that sucks. One thing about Merkin, it seemed like he could rub people the wrong way just because he is so so sarcastic yes like directly to your face he'll say the cruelest thing ever and then he'll say oh, of course i'm kidding yeah that, that, that's that, that's his gimmick he will say like something incredibly rude or insensitive those are the same those are those are synonyms by the way you get what i mean but he'll do that and say of course i'm kidding but like the one time he's actually sincere on the dvds is he mentions that when he was five his father died and that is why he went into show business because in show business, people die, but you see the actors afterwards. Like, you can overcome death via mm. entertainment, and that is what led him to entertainment. It's the only sincere thing I've ever heard him say. <laughs> he hates sincerity. On Simpsons commentaries, when Phil Hartman is brought up, he's just like, ah, come on. it's it's Let's just laugh. He was great. Let's yeah. remember the good times. Like, 
Or on the DVDs, they have the 2000 Paley Center discussion, and he he basically just holds court, and, and I occasionally ask myself why they invite other people here. Dave Merkin just talks the whole time. But like Eleanor, the mother on the show, she tells this very sad story about when she got cast on the show during filming her husband of 30 years passed away and how bob elliott you know comforted her he'd been through similar stuff and then dave merkin can feel you can just tell that he feels the audience is getting too sad so he's like i of course was very bothered by that (laughs) 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 they just joke and everybody laughs it's like that's his thing he's like he doesn't want to feel too much in a moment he is never sincere uh one of my favorite running jokes he does on the commentaries is if something horrible happens to chris or something dangerous is happening and he goes well of course that's safe and you should try it at home yes there's an impish spirit to him that is funny and leads to funny things i mean as much as this is going to sound like i'll say some other negative things about Merck, and i do think his seasons of the simpsons are probably the best the show yes did, but... uh season six is my all-time favorite but it was also thanks to not unlike get a life like Merkin ran the show, but he had some of the most talented people in the world working on it. As Merkin tells the story, Chris Elliott had the idea of wanting a show where Dennis the Menace is a grown-up who never left home and is still having the same adventures. Merkin says that Elliott pitched that idea without Merkin to Peter Chernin at Fox. Chernin passed on it, and Merkin takes credit for re-pitching the idea and successfully selling the show to Chernin, which, based on their friendship that was still going on in the early 2010s because it's on the dvd i do believe that like merkin knew how to sell that show so you could say elliot would never have made the show if david merkin didn't know how to properly massage an executive into greenlining it he seems like he could be a pretty forceful guy he's very articulate about his ideas too yeah yeah i think very forceful on other people's (laughs) that's another thing from the paley center thing other writers talk about oh we had this idea that we wanted to make about chris joins a freak show and merkin's like yeah yeah, I actually I didn't want to do that once, uh, but I guess pitch it to everybody now. And he kind of uh. he kind of shits on their idea live. Like you get to see what oh this is what the writers' room was like. Guys pitched a good idea, but Merkin wasn't sold on it. And he's like, I'm going to tear your idea apart right now. That idea is shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny if you watch one of the DVD extras where he has Steve Papoon and Jace Richdale, both writers for the show, later would write for The Simpsons. They still have the same power relationship where Jace and Steve are just very timid. Yes. And he, it's mostly him talking. I think. If you were going to try to have a more forceful personality than him, then you just couldn't work with him. Like, no, I get a feeling on some of those Simpsons commentaries, people are just like, well, I'll just hang around with Merkin so I can be on the commentary about my story. Yeah. You know, like, but I don't want to look. I don't know these things. I'm just guessing at power dynamics from commentary. We we still want to talk to him, so we will kiss his ass. Yes. Yeah. Look, I do want to interview David Merkin. I have 10 million more things to ask him after watching this. I want him to insult me. (laughs) Yes. Oh, he'll be so mean to us, but... Merkin, you know, if there's one thing he hates, it's sitcoms. The entire job of his life. Like, it's all he's ever worked on and he hates it. Which is how he wants to live his life. He is a man who hates himself and hates his (laughs) life and and also wants women to be mean to him. Like, these are all things Merkin's into. That's what this episode's about. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Get a Life in season five and six of The Simpsons, it's all about being the anti-sitcom. Yes, yeah. Fighting the need for a peaceful resolution, happy endings any of that and just constant post-modernity of going like oh well 
I guess, uh, like, it's Homer looking at his watch and saying, like, oh, it ended a little earlier than usual. <laughs> Let's hug Apu again. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so once the thing was sold, they sell a pilot. They're still fighting Fox at all times. They have to, like, shoot multiple versions of the pilot. One of the things was in the original pilot, June Lockhart from Lost in Space played the mom. Mm. But Merkin was nothing but complimentary about it. But something didn't work with her. And it also, if you watch the pilot as it aired... Chris is played like not totally crazy and he actually wins like it actually yeah. is a sitcom win at the end of the episode. It's a different character. He's more like a Bugs Bunny character than a psychotic loser yes. who's yeah. completely deluded <laughs> and in denial about what a loser he is. Yeah, he actually is kind of like, hey man, I'm a counterculture guy. I don't I don't buy into your rules, man. And also Merkin said in the original filming, like the executives were saying to Chris's face, like, I just don't know if our lead works. So this guy's like freaking people out. <laughs> <laughs> Merkin also tells stories that they filmed extra stuff that were just lies to the execs of here's Chris being not weird with women. He's women actually kind of like him. Like he's not insane. The cast beyond Chris Elliott though, included Bob Elliott playing his father who hates him at uh, every turn. He's, he's sick of him. Meanwhile, Eleanor Donahue from father knows best plays the mother and she's insane as well. I think he says like, you can see Chris Peterson got his <laughs> insanity from his mother. <laughs> and the nice touch about them is that they're always in their uh, robes. Yes. Yeah. They're living, <laughs> the uh, like uh, ultimate retired life apparently the part of that was chris elliott didn't want his dad have to live in la that long so it's like you can just be in the same costume and we'll film a lot of them all together at once and also usually sitting down there's rare episodes where bob elliott does a lot more than just sit at a breakfast table and say things even later when they visit him in the hospital in like a season two episode they're still wearing their robes yes yeah it's very uh, fun and and also eleanor donahue we just talked about her and eek the cat she's the the mother oh. In that as well you're right about that she was doing a lot of postmodern like yes it's funny to cast the mom from a classic 50s sitcom as your silly mom in this new thing she gets the joke though and i do like that one well, speaking of imdb junior sam robards plays uh, his best friend larry son of james robards and lauren bacall okay yeah he's he's a handsome enough guy you know what uh he does a great job but i think larry's a bad character for this show Needless. and they got they got rid of him for a reason i i feel like i love season two and I enjoy season one. Season one's a little weaker, I think, because the dynamic between Chris, Sharon, and Larry is a little too much like Married with Children. Yes. Where like yes. Sharon is like a harpy character, like Marcy Rhodes. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And like the Steve character, which is sort of like the successful guy, but he's being pulled back into adolescence by this crazy neighbor, <laughs> which is yeah. very much like the dynamic of Married with Children. And I think they made a much better show when it wasn't a lot of characters commenting how idiotic and stupid and psychotic Chris's and when they just made everyone almost as crazy as him yes. it was a better show like in this episode everyone is almost <laughs> as crazy as Chris and it works yeah as, as people get less normal around him it's better I especially with the Larry character the show is Al Bundy is mean enough to Steve but eventually by the end of season one every character looks at Larry in the face and goes like why don't you kill yourself this is awful yeah. and I like that as, as a plot line for him you can almost read it as by the second season he's been told that enough that he's like yeah I need to leave <laughs> I'm going to run away. And I think Sharon is better on her own. Yes, yeah. Robin Riker plays her. I read several interviews with her. She's very proud of her work on the show. She She's happy playing the, the ultimate bitch, honestly. She has called a bitch to her face several times in this series. But honestly, you can't blame her. Often she is played as, you know, literally a dom to subs around yeah. them. And I, me and you 
we've watched several episodes <laughs> a couple weeks leading up to this and we've joked like Dave Merkin saved some of those extra cuts for home of her yeah. of her giving commandments <laughs> to Chris or in the season finale of one Chris has this view that he thinks uh, that Sharon is being strangled to death but he actually was seeing their weird sex game oh, right. of like well Larry says normally she's the one being rough with him but occasionally she lets him be rough with her in the beginning of season one Sharon will just sort of threaten Chris but by season two she is like kickboxing yes. him <laughs> pushing his head through walls pulling out an axe when he comes over firing uh, a gun at him yes over yeah, and over yeah, again god i no i love that in in season two eventually he kind of pushes it like yeah yeah you're all talk sharon and she just like kicks him in the face and then she becomes a stunt person who's just beating chris for like a minute straight in the second season brian doyle murray would join as a regular though he made a very memorable appearance in the first great episode of the show the second one handsome boy modeling school i do like the character of gus because you need somebody worse than chris yes. to make him more lovable because he's a psychotic violent alcoholic ex-cop he's the person chris would age into it reminds me a lot there relationship of like when homer and wiggum would do stuff together in the Merkin years especially when marge befriends ruth powell that it's just two idiots hanging out together giving yeah. each other terrible ideas and I, I love bob ellie i love his flat line readings but it's a more fun show when you have this character encouraging chris yeah yeah to do things instead of bob ellie going like well son i just don't think you'll ever succeed in anything <laughs> it's funny to hear like gus go like now hey, you shut your trap kid or i'll punch you in the face and then murder you I'll light you on fire. I mean, Brian Doyle Murray's voice too is just perfect. Amazing. Like, he has yeah. been old forever. <laughs> when he was in like season five of SNL, it's like, yep, he's old then. He still sounds that way. But yes, after the pilot, they also briefly filmed in front of a studio audience, but the show has so many too ambitious things they want to do. You can't have a studio audience sit around for 18 hours waiting to film stuff. Yeah, like insert shots, location shots. There's a few crane shots throughout this uh, series. Yeah, and Merkin didn't want a laugh track, but it was pretty much forced on him. And you can watch it without the laugh track on the DVDs, I think, for the majority of the episodes. But then you just hear the crew go like, eh yeah <laughs> it's a weird experience because the beats are still there for a laugh track so yeah. it's just very alienating it's better to watch it with the laugh track i think merkin wanted to include no laugh track stuff because now it's just seen as gauche it's like no all these other shows a decade later like on arrested development or larry sanders after all survived without a laugh track and it makes his show seem kind of retro in a bad way another major writer on season one along with resnick and elliot wrote on the show too but mainly his creative stuff was like oh i'll just do this on the set or whatever american uh, also marjorie gross writer of many of the best episodes she'd leave after the first season writing for seinfeld and sadly would pass away at 40 Aww. 40 in 1996 i thought her name was familiar but yeah seinfeld for sure yeah she wrote some of the classics and in season one he brought on the previously mentioned steve papoon who based on his imdb credit i think is basically retired after co-creating the wild thornberry okay I think, I think that made him his nut and he's like I'll, <laughs> I'll consult here now but i'm not working hard on stuff that, that chupo money he was yeah. an elf writer too and also yes. he wrote the episode that won the emmy for the simpsons which was the cable episode so it's stealing cable right right but Man. he was not on the staff he was a freelancer i, I take it we're gonna get to that one soon enough yeah and so hardly every episode in the first season work there's some ups and downs on 
that same 2012 interview with Elliot and Resnick, they talk about the Haunted House episode, which they thought was a real turd. They said the script really sucked. <laughs> Resnick did a huge rewrite on it to try to make it into something. They mentioned that it was written by an unnamed producer. I don't want to guess who it is, but he mentioned that like Resnick not only thought this guy was a dick who they could hear on the phone to a friend in the office saying, yeah, I just don't think the show's going to work. Nobody mm. likes the main guy. But also that Resnick was like, and somehow that guy had more power than me on a show I created. Like he had a higher position than Adam Resnick on a show he co-created. I, I mean, I really get the sense Elliot had to fight hard for Resnick to get co-creator credit on that show. But the show, you know, it can be remembered as Get a Life is like, oh, it was a big failure from the start. But Fox was way behind it. One thing I regretted to mention when we started season two was when Simpsons moved off a of Sunday at 830, Get a Life was given that slot. It was the lead into Married with Children. Yeah, it was the best position it could be in. And it totally makes sense. Married with Children and Get a Life, that is a perfect combo of shows. Though I feel like Married with Children should lead you into Get a Life <laughs> because it can ramp up the darkness. I guess there are more sex jokes on that show, so you need it at 9 p.m. But yeah. yeah, Merkin was saying that at one point it was a number one show, and at certain points it did beat The Simpsons. I'm guessing those are Simpsons reruns before season two started. I think so. But still, that that's yeah. big for Fox. Yeah, on the commentaries, he talks up like, you know, we had an 11 share, which would make it the biggest comedy on TV in 2010. The Fox lineup at the time had hits like The Simpsons, Married with Children, Cops, and Living Color, America's Most Wanted. We Get a Life would premiere in fall of 1990 alongside 90210, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, and a lot of other shows that got canceled, mm. like like Babes. Oh, I was a Babes fan. <laughs> yes, the debut episode did really good in the Simpsons time slot. Uh, Birkin also jokes that Brooks was very pissed off that not only did he lose his time slot, but it was his <laughs> friend who got his beloved Sunday time slot. Chris Elliott tells a story, though, that he got the sense that no one liked it when the show was airing. Tells the story of him and his wife and their baby walking down the street and passing by a person who goes like, Ugh, there's that guy on that show i hate <laughs> and him going like let's keep going family let's get let's that might have been abby elliott <laughs> yeah i think so I, I wonder what the elliott children are up to now it's a real talented Hollywood. family they've got there uh, lots of execs loathed it but not peter chernin or kayla kelchek or kolchak the female executive is in all the extras too elliott and resnick also remember that they were constantly being told like get in heartfelt moments and their f you to those notes were in the previously mentioned submarine episode once you know this behind the scenes story i could notice this a ton chris elliott would go like dad i think me and you finally you know are, are learning something about each other and tinkly music would come in and bob <laughs> elliott would go like whatever fine i think he literally <laughs> says i think we're having a bonding moment right now that's right yes, yeah yeah uh i love that as he's about to die bob elliott's like you're not a bad son after all god a guy will say anything to get into heaven <laughs> <laughs> that is great yeah the series got weirder and weirder as the show went on merkin on the commentary mentions that first they weren't renewed they were not an instant renewal he takes some credit for pushing the production company to put a big ad in variety about how it was the top rated new comedy of the year which if you were very selective with the first ones it is true a lot of asterisks there <laughs> and it also that it was a real critical darling and merkin says that that did a lot to shame fox into picking up the show but it was a late pickup they thought it would be for mid-season but it ended up airing in november 91 mm -hmm. so 
in season two giant reset for the show they don't talk much about budget but i feel pretty sure they cut a lot of that cast because of budget too yeah so for the most part mom and dad are gone yeah he moves out he lives with brian doyle murray so david merkin it seemed like he rarely listened to notes or he was willing to work with the network but one of their big stipulations is that when chris moves into gus's garage he has to know (laughs) it's a garage (laughs) he can't be that stupid chris is a character who in the second season forgets his first and last name yep yeah and just says beep like just rant for no reason and we didn't mention this but when david merkin took over the simpsons he just turned homer into chris peterson with a family if you ask yourself in episodes like homer and apu homer goes to college so many of them bart sometimes becomes him too but homer went from being like the kind of dumb cartoony character of season four to an insane person who runs over the dean who i mean also in in one of merkin's his last one is a show runner the joy of sect that would be exactly the same if yes. Chris Peterson joined a cult. And he would drive them all insane. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you, you mentioned the slimming down of the budget. Karen is around occasionally, and then Larry is gone completely. Yeah, last episode, he's on screen for like two minutes. <laughs> and some of the highest concept episodes just use one set. So Bad Fish is an episode in which Chris throws a party at Gus's place. He gets Bad Fish <laughs> that gives him amnesia and then makes them into murderers. Yep. That all happens within one set. The same thing happens with the time travel episode. It's just one set. It's only Gus's set. And, and Spewy and me, they don't leave too much either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not to mention, if you watch in season one, they have some big props like the Paperboy 2000, which started the whole naming convention of having Blank 2000 be the name of a lot of episodes. And it looks pretty expensive. Right? Yeah. And they film a lot on the Universal lot. Now I can't wait till the next time I can do the Universal Hollywood tour. Universal Studios reopens. I'll just be like, oh, that's where the gang was. That's where Chris got run over. This is where Chris hit the hood of the car when he's looking at that woman's boobs. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, that. <laughs> but I mean, to pare down the cast to just have Brian Doyle Murray yelling at Chris, like, because in Handsome Boy Modeling School, that was one of the funniest things in season yeah. one. It was mainly him lying to Chris's face and taking advantage of him. Yeah. Season one did have some pretty big budgety stuff. I remember Neptune 2000. I forgot that the submarine crashes through through the ceiling it's amazing looking merkin really said that cost ten thousand dollars to do <laughs> they do so many like first person shots or crazy special effects shots and yeah not to mention the music mm-hmm. which would be a big problem later on for the show they spent a lot on music too also on season two they had what a murderer's row of writers led up by oh god bob odenkirk and charlie kaufman as writers for the show i think bob odenkirk really helped this show tighten itself up and yeah. uh, with his sketch know-how he went from snl to this to ben stiller show to mr show yeah yeah god damn it's odenkirk is the perfect example of what merkin said he was looking for in writers because he said they couldn't look for a lot of people with sitcom experience because this wasn't really a sitcom but he couldn't find a lot of great sketch guys because the sketch guys didn't know how to write in long form so they could do the wacky archness but they couldn't do a full like you know 22 minute show script but bob odenkirk and charlie kaufman just that good at it god bob odenkirk only wrote the bad fish episode but it does feel like a mr show sketch yes just yes. just drawn out and i think a big hallmark of the mr showiness of these episodes is that the episodes just end just 
blam like yes, chris yeah. dies that's one thing we didn't mention he dies a few times in season one but season two it's pretty consistent and usually over the credits it's a shot of what his corpse looks like yes or yeah. him hanging from the rafters on a noose they stopped playing the outro theme and just had it being his death over and yeah. over yeah I, uh, bob odenkirk tells a funny story about how he got hired on it he was hanging out with a friend in texas and that his friend was already kind of jealous of him being a writer for snl he hangs out with his friend all night and watches get a life because his friend's like get a life is a funny show ever like let's watch it i taped all the episodes they stay up all night watching it and he says that bob says for real he got a call from his agent at that guy's home and it's like hey would you want to work on this show called get a life uh-huh. and so he has to tell his friend like hey the your favorite show just called me to hire me as a writer on it god that's crazy yeah i think it's because of him and in a way it's a cheat for a story but i love how basically a lot of these episodes in the later part of the series end with blackout gag just yeah. big gag and then it's over <laughs> usually the gag is death well i mean charlie kaufman's episode 1977-2000 it's the yes. highest concept episode they did built around a crazy person who <laughs> finds a silly thing oh yeah. uh, i don't want to talk about every episode but i love the premise for this one because chris needs to go back in time to help gus he already has access to three time machines <laughs> but instead he decides to make time travel juice I, uh, he's like i have this delorean but I, I don't want to use that. The blinker's out. <laughs> yeah, the blinker's out. It's like, oh, this time tunnel makes me kind of dizzy. And also Jace Richdale, another Merkin favorite who'd go on to write a couple of really good Simpsons. Writer yeah. of Burns' Air. Oh, what a good... When Homer says, let's push him down the stairs, that's a Chris Elliott line, <laughs> or Peterson line for sure. Yeah, and uh, Jace Richdale, possibly the writer of Sticking Together is what Good Waffles do line. We're still trying to get to the bottom of that. That's what's on my wedding ring. <laughs> we need to... All right, all the more reason to reach out to Jace Richdale alone and ask him. And, and Judd Apatow tells a story that he almost got hired to the show, but that Merkin interviewed him but didn't do it which Merkin jokes about like oh who'd I skip over oh Judd Apatow oh dear <laughs> like Apatow does say that his get a life in Simpson spec that got him that interview also got him the job on critics so not only do the ratings go down along with the budget but also they get kind of screwed by placement on the network like they first get put on Saturday night in a new Saturday night block that Fox is like oh yeah it's gonna be huge I think eventually they could have some sustained success with, you know, the cops and mad TV combo, but Get Life just died on Saturday yeah. night. And I think he was saying that it was put on at 10, and that's when a lot of affiliates stopped carrying Fox. Uh, so, yes, they had the night to themselves on Saturdays, but the remaining episodes that aired in 92, in early 92, those moved to Sunday night at 10 o'clock, which this was true for my market in 1992 mm. it got preempted by the news i didn't get to see 10 o'clock fox programming god for a very short time they must have been airing get a life reruns after the simpsons or before because i remember taping a few simpsons and then recording get a life after it yes it was maybe uh, this episode even <laughs> that's why i have such fond memories of it i do think it got coupled with some reruns of it maybe it's reruns got put on thursday night too though every first run one at least according to tvtango.com season one was on sunday nights season two was either saturday nights or sunday nights but i mean ellie and resnick also told another funny story about their troubles that they were on a phone call with some ad guy from fox who was making suggestions on how to promote it and they thought this guy was an idiot and they kept making fart noises as he was talking <laughs> and then they're like by season two that ad guy became a network executive oh. and uh, the writing was on the wall for them so kind of crap my flight letterman <laughs> the second season barely held on and by march 8th it was replaced on a schedule that was filled up with drexel's class 
Ross, no. Rock, Herman's Head. And 10 p.m., it was put with the stand-up showcase, the Sunday comics, which if I was a kid, I would have definitely watched that if I could have. So I know what must have been preempted in my market. It's a real shame because the show only gets funnier. The funniest episodes are in the back of season two. They really are. And season yeah. three could have been amazing if Bob Odenkirk stayed on and Charlie Kaufman and Jace Richdale and maybe even a few other great writers who would have gone on to do even better things. But man, like it was just cut so short. Merkin's pitch for a third season about how it would be Chris becomes a homeless drifter changing lives from town to town. That would be great. Yeah. That would have been really, really great. You, you don't need a supporting cast that's consistent. And I think season two really shows that because yeah. there's one consistent character in this episode that's Gus for one scene. Everyone else is new. Yeah. As a sketch show. And I mean, that's also a cheaper way to do a show. You just have guest people every week. My guess is that Merkin likely had an overall deal with Fox because yeah. he says in the same phone call, he was told that Get a Life was canceled. Peter Chernin picked up his sketch show, The Edge, and that that would go on in fall 1992 which was led by his then girlfriend at the time julie brown yes a really amazing cast julie brown wayne knight tom kenny jill talley and jennifer man. aniston man in a sketch comedy show <laughs> and uh, i remember really liking it of course as an edgy sketch comedy show in the early 90s i'm sure every sketch is problematic yep. but i kind of want to rewatch it i remember really liking it as a kid the one i remember watching on a youtube clip was it was a designing women sketch about how delta burke be was growing to godzilla sized proportions yes. and eating everyone which uh, yeah i remember <laughs> so i guess kevin nealon is friends with dave merkin because kevin nealon's on one of the commentaries dave merkin can't stop saying he's like my friend kevin nealon suggested this like, i remember yeah. an edge sketch with kevin nealon as a dad who had to get a baboon's ass transplanted onto his body <laughs> but be the entire episode was about censorship so whenever he said ass there'd be a robotic voice saying buttocks <laughs> over that's, his uh his use of ass that's funnier than hearing the word ass yeah you know those censors led them to be funnier i but well, come on <laughs> jennifer aniston in a sketch show that's amazing the wikipedia page will tell you that the edge got a lot of problems because they mocked 90210 in a way that was very cruel especially to tori spelling mm. and aaron spelling was not happy about that and didn't make him any friends in the executives rooms at, uh, and so then, of course, once that show got canceled, well, that freed up David Merkin for the crippled writer's room of The Simpsons in, at the end of season four. Yes. Uh, I mean, we talked about it on Talking Simpsons, but what, like 80% of the staff left. Yes. And yeah. my own thought was Fox was probably thinking, oh, this show has got a few more years left in it. Let's let Dave babysit this. We'll get 100 episodes. We'll get syndication. and That'll be it for The Simpsons. But they didn't know. Yeah. They yeah, didn't know. Yeah. And it turned out like... <laughs> He is an amazing showrunner because The Simpsons should not have been good after everyone left, but yeah. it got better. It got, it got better. better. It actually, season four, all these guys were burned out and Merkin rebuilt the show with the remaining parts of Conan O'Brien, Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein, and Dan McGrath. I think those were the only four. Yeah. He rebuilt with that and also George Meyer, but George Meyer couldn't do full time. And then he just staffed back up uh, Schwarzwelder too. But anyway, he staffed back up with a lot of his Get a Life guys. And you can see the easy line to line of like get a life ends into the simpsons like deep space homer is a get a life episode it would yeah. be chris peterson joins nasa <laughs> it, it was said that he came to the simpsons with that idea it had to be a get a life idea there's no way he couldn't have had that in mind for chris 100 percent. and one i think too you know for as great as get a life is one of its problems with it is that it has to be filmed in live action and reality makes things less funny because it's very funny to write in a script gus shoots chris peterson multiple times 
times while trying to shoot a different person. It is funny to watch, <laughs> but that exact same joke done in Homie the Clown when Ned Flanders gets shot over and over again is way funnier because funnier. animation can do it perfectly. We should point out there's a lot of jokes in The Simpsons inspired by Get a Life jokes, which is perfectly fine. You should steal from yourself. But yeah. I was marveling. The time travel episode is amazing, but it is so much like Time and Punishment. Yes. I think Merkin was also incredibly blessed that he may have lost all of the previous writers or most of them but the animation team was at their height of five yeah. and six and they could make his jokes work 10 times better than they would have even five years later on the simpsons but most interesting post-cancellation is chris elliott and adam resnick because in the short version is they almost got to make a film with tim burton mm. and we covered this some in nightmare before christmas right yeah tim burton Disney, Katzenberg, and Eisner especially really wanted Tim Burton. They're like, we'll make anything with you. And so they thought they'd get movies Tim Burton would direct. And with Nightmare Before Christmas, they thought, yeah, Tim Burton's going to direct it. Well, not really, but they still sold it as Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. But Burton definitely wanted to direct because he really loved Chris Elliott and Adam Resnick. He was going to direct a film called Cabin Boy, which was actually a takeoff of an episode in season one the episode where peterson falls in love with a bunch of construction workers and, yeah. and joins them like jane goodall and so he's like oh what if we did that with a fancy lad who wants to join up with pirates and and befriend them and become the cabin boy i think the movie's very funny but tim burton ultimately was like no i'm gonna direct more stuff at warner so he just mm. left to work on ed wood and disney is stuck with a film that they only wanted to make because tim burton was gonna make it and they're like Adam Resnick, you can just direct it. You can direct a $10 million movie. And, uh, not a director, Adam Resnick, correct? No, I mean, he hasn't directed anything since. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't known for, he was a comedy writer. Yeah, he's a comedy writer and a very good one at that. And I, it feels like he was set up to fail. And a very sad thing about it was that like, Cabin Boy was no more a failure than hundreds of films that had been released by studios. And Disney released way worse things that made less money than Cabin Boy that were less profitable than Cabin Boy but because it was open season on cabin boy you wouldn't piss off anybody that would fire you and yeah. so i think it got to be an easy target and it really did fuck up elliot and especially resnick just mentally they're like oh everybody's allowed to say they hate our movie this sucks chris elliot just became a joke yes. which is totally not fair to him and it led him to make the bad decision he'd admit this in a million interviews he should never have done snl and he did a season on snl what an awful season that was it was such i mean that was mark mckinney was on it michael mckeon they're just asking do you do a sketch do you how about you you were on a yeah. sketch show come on down <laughs> i read this great elliot interview where he makes this point of like he could have done it in the 80s but doing it then it's like well you just see chris elliot you don't see him playing a character yeah you just see chris elliot and also like he mentioned watching it with his kids one time and them going like boy you you sure get sexually assaulted a lot in these sketches. He's like, yeah, why'd I do that? I mean, at the time, I was delighted to see him. But upon seeing these episodes again, I'm, I just said, oh, you, you were, you're above this. The yeah. show the show would get better. <laughs> SNL would get better when they refreshed the cast. But that was a rough year. I think Janine Garofalo was on that Garofalo year. Garofalo, too. Weird. Yep, yeah. What a weird-ass year. And you still had the frat boys, too, of, you know, Farley and Dice. Yeah, Sandler, Sandler was it, on the way yeah, out. Yeah, 
Rock was definitely gone yeah. at that point. Yeah. Resnick would never direct again, but he'd follow Elliot to SNL, but then strike out on his own. It worked with Elliot sometimes, but become a solo writer. I think he'd stick around in LA while Elliot would move back to New York. He'd do a show I had never seen, but you had looked it up The High Life in HBO One Seasoner. Yes, it just buried. It was like a black and white sitcom on HBO. I want to see it. It feels like a high concept sitcom. It should yeah. be on HBO Max, but no one recorded it. No one put it on YouTube. <laughs> HBO has built such a prestige around it post Sopranos yeah. that they don't like recognizing the pre Soprano stuff. They don't <sighs> want to show you Dream On, their titty comedy. You know? I, I knew them when they were the Tales from the Crypt and Dream On Network. They should yeah. acknowledge that, I think. But after the High Life, Resnick would move over to the Larry Sanders show, which was, I mean, what a great fit for the ex Letterman guy who likes to do dark stuff like larry sanders is perfect for that and then he'd write two scripts that he completely disowns uh, one of them death to smoochie so the writer of cabin boy then did death to smoochie but and now resident kind of just writes for himself did write on the show divorce that hbo show that's how he befriended tom sharpling which led to a lot hmm. of really informative interviews uh because sharpling is a giant get a life fan and i don't think sharpling's ever interviewed dave merkin so i think that also uh. shows how he feels about dave merkin but meanwhile what happens to this series while well, it does attain cult status it's passed around in vhs's around hollywood and was perfect to be achieving that cult status because like this is too good for that swine out there they can't appreciate great comedy like this did get rerun some on the usa network but even then they could not afford all of the music they're I like uh chain replace the music i think it was just one summer that happened it was super briefly i remember i found out about it just as it ended i was so mad because there was <laughs> yeah, nowhere no, else no. to see these things there was no yeah. youtube yet i think it was like 1999 or something like that. you really had to like go into like a comic convention maybe you could find bootlegs of it there or something like it was too few episodes too weird and too expensive for most syndicators so it wasn't going to get much of a chance now in the tv on dvd boom it did start to get a new chance because rhino home video released best of selections of episodes because they couldn't afford oh, all yeah. the music for all the episodes they put them out on vhs and dvd 2000 to 2002 i think that was a two episode per disc thingy yes yeah and i remember one of the tragedies of my young life is being really <laughs> excited about a show and then showing it to a friend and having them just be upset or not into it and this is one of those uh, that is a painful thing yeah, yeah. just uh just like feeling myself turn inside out it's they're not laughing at the prettiest week in my life right yeah and you have to say like well well this isn't their best episode um let me <laughs> let me tell you jokes from other episodes i enjoyed yeah. me and you knew about these things too because we were already rhino heads for uh, oh yeah mystery science theaters company it's funny to me that rhino started as like this boutique record thing of like oh we have the masters of this like lost 50s album well who cares about that i want to watch mystery science theater do you have mitchell <laughs> <laughs> i still have i think four of the original rhino mst3 dvds on my shelf i'm looking at a couple right now not enough of them i don't have the complete collection so it's a big hit for rhino and merkin tells the story that like in in the early 2000s rhino's telling him hey these are selling so well i think we can justify paying the music rights but then in 2003, Warner, the mm. owners of Rhino, decide we want to just take Rhino into our company and not have them release weird shit that barely makes money. <laughs> so Rhino goes away and Merkin's like, oh, well, so much for that deal. But fortunately, several Rhino execs then started a new company called Shout Factory. And over a decade, they eventually scraped together enough pull in connections to finally put the complete get a life dvd series out with 
all of the music. They paid for all of the music, which is amazing. I think Merkin said it was a blessing because they released the DVDs as the DVD market was drying up, and that meant people were asking less money for music. Oh, and okay. they also got a deal from REM that they could pay way less than what the song is worth. Otherwise, it would not be on the DVDs. Oh, yeah. That was nice of REM to give him a deal then. I think Merkin, too, he got addicted to how in-depth the Simpsons DVDs were, and he wanted that for Get a Life, too. So there's tons of original stuff he did. He did a commentary on every episode, just like he did on The Simpsons. Definitely there was a difference of opinion between him and Elliot and Resnick about not only just recording together, but also putting their commentaries on there. In that same 2012 interview, they joke about how the video quality on the DVDs are worse because they had to make more room for custom edits of the yeah. episodes that have to fit with the commentary. Sometimes there's a separate video track. It's not even the whole episode. They'll do commentary on maybe like 18 minutes or 16 minutes. It's, yeah. it's odd. On this episode, it really confused me of like, why did you do a 17 minute commentary were there bits where they're like oh i hate this scene let's not even talk mm. over it it didn't just, make any sense just to me talk about what's in the news or something yes, yeah. pass pass some time take it to a scene you like <laughs> so elliot and resnick sadly not involved at all they're all very polite in interviews but again i think you could really tell that merkin got full ownership of the story of this show on the dvds yeah. and i think that's unfortunate for elliot and resnick that's a sore spot because it feels like we'll never hear hear the get a life story from chris elliott or adam resnick because the out of politeness they don't want to ruin the show for everyone yeah so they're just keeping quiet although you'll hear chris elliott make fun of merkin like we did in that clip that's as far <laughs> as it goes but that's just because he's pissed that they play yeah he's like, please don't play this and he's like fine if you're gonna play it i'll i'll show you what i feel like you could see he's just disgusted by hearing merkin's voice but yeah i would really like to hear the story from them and their experiences making the show but it's all filtered through merkin and yeah. that's unfortunate but at least we get that on the record I can see why they don't want to tell people like Resnick basically left the show in season two as well. He's not credited as a writer on any episodes. I listened to the commentary for the final episode where it starts on a plane and every writer is on the plane. Like you can spot Kaufman and, okay. and, and, and Odenkirk and Merkin says, you know, I think Resnick might've just missed the flight, I guess, oh, or God. something like, I think Resnick probably stopped doing writing for the show out of frustration of working with Merkin, but also he was being demanded to do a lot on the cabin boy script in 1992 mm. to lead up to the 94 release so it might just be he was just really busy on cabin boy but <laughs> i don't get that sense from the commentaries but yes these days like you said the dvd's relatively affordable for a complete set of like you know six discs and a whole bunch of extras could go out of print any day now so if you're a get a life fan and it's not streaming nowhere so you'll see this episode on youtube if you want to watch it but even if you never watch get a life but you're a simpsons fan this is season 4.2 it's the yeah. other universe season 4 that leads to season 5 and we mentioned it briefly in that 20 years after get a life fans of get a life made a new show for chris elliott and it's even better yes eagle heart is the perfect continuation of the spirit of that show and as far as i know chris elliott loved working with everybody on that show yeah so. especially season three is a continuous story it doesn't really work a hundred percent but i like the ambition and it's, it's just so a great good. way to end that series there's many great people that worked on it but jason walner it really showed that he's one of the most underrated writer directors in comedy right now like everybody's funnier when he does a thing he's so fucking good i didn't want to watch the second borat movie but i do 
do give him credit for bike <laughs> through Only Jason Wallner would be good enough to find something clever to do with Borat in the year 2020 when Borat is one of the most played out things in the universe. I'll tell you what, when I accidentally sat down next to Brett Gelman and Ken Marino in an airport, <laughs> I heard Brett Gelman's voice. I turned around and I, I praised Eagleheart. He seemed very touched. Oh, that's great. He's so good. He's like Chris Peterson in that show. He's like the junior Chris yes. Peterson to Chris Elliott. Yes, so a, a more violent lunatic. Yes, yeah. It's such a great show. You guys, if you haven't watched Eagleheart yet, that one actually is on HBO Max and you can watch and it. You know what? The premise makes it sound lame. Like, oh, is it a bunch of Chuck Norris jokes? Think of Strangers of the Candy, but even more exaggerated. <laughs> on an even uh, higher level. Taking that kind of humor and bringing it to Adult Swim. It's so great. You hear the stories on that, too, that they had a pilot that was more direct of like, yeah, it's Chuck Norris jokes. And I think very quickly they learn like, this is so played out, Chuck Norris jokes. Let's not do that. And so instead they make it crazy. Yeah. Just great. Maria Thayer, too, perfect on that show. So she's so good. That is the Strangers with the Candy Connection. Yes. Yeah. God. And she looks the same age as she did in Strangers with the Candy. Playing what? Eagle Tammy Hart. Little Nut? Yes. Tammy Little Nut from Sweet Valley High. <laughs> That's our very in-depth history of Get a Life, though. Honestly, I kind of want to do this as our next miniseries. I am oh. a little tempted. But, Ooh, uh, maybe. Let's start out there. Our 10 favorite episodes, right? Our 10 right? favorite episodes, yeah. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. And then we'll be talking about Girlfriend 2000. represents the feelings of the Fox Broadcasting Company toward the viewing public. Rather, it reflects the feelings of one man who wishes everyone could have as much fun as he does. <laughs> Get a life. Premiering next Sunday on Fox. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the break for our What a Cartoon episode of Get a Life. I am Bob Mackey. I'm not standing in the place where I live. I'm sitting in the place where I don't live. Do not be confused. Who is here with me? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and I, I think I'm a genius. Beep. <laughs> and if you enjoy this podcast and want to support the show and get so many bonus things on top of that, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up there for five bucks a month to get every episode one week ahead of time and ad free and also access to everything behind the $5 paywall that includes all of our limited miniseries. The most recent one that's happening right now, it just launched, is Talking of the Hill Season 2 Part 1. That is 11 new episodes of Talking of the Hill, our King of the Hill chronological series, just like Talking Simpsons, but about King of the Hill. All of our other miniseries are behind that paywall and also we have things like interviews, end of season wrap-ups and deleted scene specials for talking simpsons and so much more and once you sign up for five bucks a month you can access everything we've done behind the patreon paywall for nearly four total years of bonus episodes so if you enjoy our voices and our commentary there are so many podcasts you haven't heard and they're all waiting for you at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and there is a ten dollar level two signing up for that will get you all the five dollar stuff of course but also access to one megalon podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry Yes, that's a What a Cartoon Movie podcast. If right before this uh, April Fool's episode, you probably heard 
our extended preview of our talk about DuckTales the movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp. Well, you can hear the full thing, which is, I believe, about four hours if you sign up for the $10 a month tier, which gets you the entire back catalog of all the previous What A Cartoon movies we covered that range as wide as Kiki's Delivery Service and Akira to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Tiny Toons I Spent My Vacation. So, so many movies that we have covered in the What A Cartoon style. And this month, you're really going to want to sign up because me and Bob are talking about the 20th anniversary of Shrek. That's right, 20 years of Shrek. This April, you're going to get Shreked. And you can only hear it all if you are a $10 and up premium subscriber at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So please consider going up to that level. And if you've never signed up for Patreon before, it is so easy to do. Once you do sign up, you're given access to a code. You can access that code anytime you want. You just drop that code into whatever you use to listen to podcasts. And that way you can download our bonus podcast alongside your free podcast as part of your podcasting lifestyle. And Patreon also has an app for any smart device you might have. And you can download our bonus episodes that way as well. But no matter what way you do it, it is so easy to access all the bonus content waiting for you at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. All right. And now we'll get back to our April Fool's podcast about Get a Life. But while you're listening, don't forget a car could run over you. So be careful. The moment you never thought you'd see. I'm leaving home. Honey, I hope you're not jerking us around again. Chris moves out on the season premiere of Get a Life, Saturday. back from the break i hope you enjoy hearing that rem classic bringing us in here it's a bob mackie karaoke favorite because <laughs> there's three lyrics in it basically uh, it is the opposite of end of the world which is one of the hardest karaoke songs to do rem is on both sides of the karaoke spectrum and this connects all of our things that we like because the director of the stand video would direct ventures of pete and pete episodes that's right man so much of the spirit of that that's how they got michael stipe in one of their first episodes mm-hmm. is the sludge man or whatever his name was so yes this episode girlfriend 2000 one of the cursed sunday after 10 o'clock often preempted episodes Uh. directed by david merkin he takes writing by credit too which when your showrunner honestly feels slightly selfish to me it's like unless he literally really wrote this script i think maybe he probably wrote a few scripts sure this time he was young enough to have that energy but yeah (laughs) in some interviews i heard him say like i could never do get a life now we worked insane hours at the paley center one there's a story of him being yelled at by brian doyle murray because he's like I'm waiting to fill this scene where I eat a hot dog. It's 2.30 in the fucking morning. <laughs> uh, I want Brian Doyle Murray to yell at me. 
this is pure American in that it is just him. It's so mean spirited and it's about brunette women that hurt you. Yep. Yeah. He, and he, hey, we well, got some things in common. <laughs> he's very much into mean brunettes. I was also seen in Bart's girlfriend in oh, these years on the show. That cool. is such a American episode. Yeah. You can see what his uh, sensibilities are. I guess Mindy is his a redheaded angel. Like yes. he likes a sweet redhead or a cruel brunette. Blondes don't do much for him. It seems no, like there's nary a blonde to be found in the series. <laughs> but yes, Merkin directed 20 of the 35 episodes of the series. He'd always wanted to direct, and the show really gave him a chance to learn on the fly. He also made the point that when they would get outside directors, they didn't really understand the tone, and it was simpler for him to just direct the episodes too. And I get that. Directors in the first season included like Tony Dow, the man Homer pretended oh. to be when he was Mr. Plow. Yeah, they were gay. <laughs> And also Dobie Gillis, the actor who played Dobie Gillis, directed one of the season one episodes that's, as that's well. That's crazy. Merkin says he was like, well, yeah, we're parodying 50 sitcoms, so why not have some 50 sitcom stars direct it? It seems like he directed three New Hearts. Oh, okay. Three episodes right. of New Hearts. So just getting a little bit of his feet wet there, I yeah. guess. This episode has a very long cold open. I think intentionally so, so you think it would end at any time. Like, <laughs> oh, once he gets hit by a car a second time, this ends. And then it just keeps going and going and going. We were talking about Sketch and Bob Odenkirk. This just feels like a perfect sketch. Yes. This cold open. It really does. Like, this would have been on Mr. Show and filmed very similarly, too, on Mr. Show, I think. Actually, the repetition of it has a very Mr. Show finial sketch feel to it, too. They talk about... if. You you take the universal hollywood tour they drive by the streets and they're like everybody knows this is 10 wisteria lane yes. from from desperate, desperate housewives, housewives. Uh, the yeah. most current uh, hot show ever right <laughs> yes. is it 2006 <laughs> at least when we were there the last time when they drove through another part and they're like yes this is the good place which is still airing uh, on tv so they updated the reference yeah when i see it now i will think no 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 this is the get a life street and yes this episode begins like so many of Merkin Simpsons 2 where a character says what a great day this is going to be and then a horrible thing happens to them in Chris's case he's hit by a car not only hit by a car but crushed under it but fortunately he falls in love instead of pain you are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen with the possible exception of Charles Durning I'm so sorry I'm usually a very careful driver, but I was on the car phone with President Bush and I got distracted when Queen Elizabeth came in on call waiting. I have no idea who they are. But anyway, it's not your fault. I just thought this was one of those days where I was semi-solid and cars could go right through me. I'm fine. I don't think so. Look at your legs. Oh, please. They're always like that. Well, actually, no, this one's usually wrapped around my neck. Here, I'll get it. <laughs> I'm going to have to reset your legs using an ancient Chinese technique, but don't worry. I'm a practicing surgeon. Wow, a doctor, huh? <laughs> Jeez. Well, maybe you can help me with another little problem I'm having. What exactly does it mean when you wake up every morning in a pool of your own vomit? Ah, <laughs> uh, this is going to be excruciatingly painful. More pain than you've ever felt. Well, you weren't around me when I heard they had canceled Manimal. <laughs> Don't worry, uh, listeners. I will not make you hear him scream or the sound of crunching bones that follows that. It's great. And it makes me think, again, this is season two. Chris is not just meeting straight characters, you know, to bounce off of. This person he meets is a model doctor scientist on the phone with both George Bush and Queen Elizabeth. And doing a British accent. Well... 
Emma Sams is a legitimate UK resident. She was born there, but it's also very extra that she has a British accent too. She's perfect in every way. It makes her sound smarter. She was fresh off of acting on Dynasty mm. at the time. Then she would go on to do many years on General Hospital. Her and Robin Riker did multiple years on soap operas after this. I'm used to the show. I did know who Charles Durning is, but I have to say, rewatching the whole series, they make so many references to people I just had to Google because they're like Chuck Connors and Robert Conrad, like yeah. the guys who were in the 90s who had been dead for years. And Manimal, that was the sort of action primetime show that promised the guy would turn into many animals, but only turned into two. That's right. Yes. Yeah. It only lasted eight episodes. A famous failure. Now replace that with Sheriff Lobo and that's Homer yes. complaining about a canceled bad show. Oh, let's do this about the entire episode. <laughs> Anytime he does a thing that reminds me of homer was him getting hit as he's about to begin his paper route reminds me of another bit that got dropped as they ran out of money or had a shrinking budget chris's friends that he'd hang out with in a diner seinfeld style was children he hung out with three other kids which i think was to make him even more off-putting that he's but there were his fellow paper boys but just to see this man 30 year old man hanging around with 10 year olds all the time i forgot about that and by this time they'd kind of lose the paperboy thing completely right i mean yeah. it really only factored into a few stories he does have his bike and papers fly out of it when he gets hit by the car but much like homer at the nuclear power plant yeah. the job no longer matters to him the also thing they mentioned charles durning he was starring on evening shade at the time which uh. was filming at the same place as get a life they don't mention charles durning on other commentaries but on multiple ones they mentioned like oh evening shade was filming next to us on the universal lot and i thought oh maybe that's why charles durning is brought up on this at this point in the series chris is seriously deluded and he sees a woman and thinks of charles durning later he sees a man in a radiation suit thinks he's a little girl he sees a cat thinks it's somebody in a costume (laughs) he has some serious like sensory problems at this point he's increasingly stupid now let's again consider he's eating toxic waste most of the time when living with gus (laughs) but i mean we we talked about you know they even joke about it on the show how stupid homer got over the years it's a sharp decrease from season one to season two as i said in season two chris often forgets his last name and one time forgets his first name yeah yep he loses his mind entirely as the show goes on he just eats paper often when he feels like it but also he's waking up in pools of his own vomit as well you get to hear some of chris elliott's horrid screaming as his legs being snapped around but eventually it hits his brain like it does on a dinosaur a very slow working brain he then screams again when he sees that his dear sweet lovable sniffable bike is bent up and we get another very long montage of her fixing his bike with various power tools chris is more in love than ever now wow i am too i think beep good for you well i have to go again i'm so sorry oh Forget about it. There's really no problem. I get run over several times a day. It's a great way to meet people. (laughs) Hey, wait. Um... (laughs) I forgot to ask your name. Trisha. Trisha Paddington. Well, I'm Chris. Chris, uh... hmm. Chris something. It's lovely to meet you, Chris. Now I really have to go. Sure, I understand. <laughs> well, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Chris, 
you really should move or I'll run over you again. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, I love she has to point out because otherwise she would have run over him a third time. <laughs> uh, and he just steps more into the street. And as she drives away, he's hit by three cars in a row. And you'll see that footage on a loop over the credits at the end. The behind the scenes story on that Merkin tells is that to make sure the dummy didn't move, they had to chain it to the ground <laughs> uh, because it would just be dragged by the first car. So see, those are things on Simpsons. He could just say Homer falls down or just a horrible thing happens to Homer and it's drawn. He doesn't have to think about the logistics of filming a live action thing. I don't think Homer would get run over by this many cars. No, he did cause a giant pile up that killed a bunch of people. Yeah, he did do that. But I can't recall, you know, in Merkin's years, Homer did more of hitting people with the cars than getting hit by cars. Take that, stupid Dean. <laughs> he gets hit by cars so many times, I love it so, so much. But seeing that dummy getting hit over and over again, that again feels very like BBC comedy yeah. to me. Too. Make it look as fake as possible. Yeah, every corpse on Monty Python was just a very obvious dummy. Or like, on Young Ones, all the characters died all the time, too. Like, they exploded most of the time. Then we get the opening theme. So great. This yeah. is a great opening, and Chris is a real hero in this opening. He is just super competent at throwing those papers. I like oh. how focused he is He's when he throws the water in his face. Yeah, he has to stay with the camera like it is a tracking shot, so he has to make sure he maintains a certain speed, grabs a drink from a woman, drinks the drink, and gets it in the trash can, all while looking funny while he does it. And he does it because he's that good. James L. Brooks brings this up in his interview. He's like, who could find eight funny ways to throw a newspaper in a row? Yeah. And Chris Elliott does it. The, the joke in the credits is that he's distracted by a woman who's kind of flirting with him and he runs into a car. Dave Merkin wanted the stuntman to fall into the concrete, but he had to be talked out of it. Like, no, that, that could hurt you. It's really hard to do right. And I think the boob lady in this opening, she only appears in one episode. Yeah, it's a sexy woman, though. Uh, in classic Merkin style, she is frowning at Chris chris like yeah. she's mad lee garlington is okay. the actress she had been in cobra and field of dreams before this has been in countless like a giant imdb page of small roles she's in one of the saddest stories about her life is oh, that no. she was the sassy waitress in the original pilot for seinfeld written out of the series after the pilot because they're like this just doesn't work oh. let's get this julia louis dreyfus in here instead i can see her yeah they were gonna have a waitress to bounce off of <laughs> She is friends of a friend with Jason Alexander, and she says sometimes she worries she might run into him because she'll just <laughs> think about, like, the millions. She said, the first five years, it wasn't too bad, but when Seinfeld became the biggest show in the world for a brief amount of time, it was really messing her up that she was almost on Aww. Seinfeld. And you know what? I was thinking about the title Get a Life, and I never really sat down to think about it, but it is a strange title, but it is really evocative of the fox in your face. Like, yeah. Get a Life is an insult. To so it's like, <laughs> go to hell, go to hell. Kiss you're right, butt. you're right. It's an insult name of a show, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about it? Because it, that actually makes it feel dated. I have not heard the term Get a Life in maybe mm. 20 years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I. it's not a timeless title. It makes it more of a piece for its time, but I kind of like that about it, because it is, he's a loser that yeah. would have been yelled at him like get a life like it that. is very uh, evocative what the show is it's just a strange title 
and the sexy lady Lee Garlington. This was all on the Universal lot. If you look real close, she lives in the Munsters' home. That's where she's standing. Oh, in front nice. Of. A bit of Merkin says why he wanted stand in there was the shot of Elliot moving the pedals to him looked like an organ grinder. And he's like, oh, the start of stand kind of sounds like that. It is a very evocative image of his turning spokes with the beginning of stand. And then the yeah. it, it reveals that it's an adult man throwing papers. Uh, it's really good. She's not in this episode, so I just wanted to say because her name appears here. Robin Riker is really great. Yeah. Brian Doyle Murray is really great too. Bob Elliott's great. Eleanor, great too. A great cast. But Robin Riker is so funny as the monster she's asked <laughs> to play. It's it's a shame <laughs> that she's not in the second season as much as she's in the first, but they do find ways to put her in, and I really do like her whenever uh, she shows up. Mainly by having her have to increase the sexual tension with her and Peterson. <laughs> and I found a recent interview with her, and she had nothing but praise to say about hmm. doing the show. Her favorite episode seems to be the Cats parody they did of uh, the oh, zoo. Zoo Animals on Wheels. Yes, yeah. yeah. Which she still brags about like a TV guide list of the 50 funniest episodes of tv ever which that is another classic episode of it. one thing i didn't like in the second season is that in the first season they put her in these 50s housewife get-ups yeah. that were a little sexy and then in the second season she's just in like early 90s gear yeah she just becomes a regular person also the children disappear except for the the daughter yeah she appears in spewy you'll see her there but otherwise we then come to another thing that seems to presage merkin's time on the simpsons radioactive joe Yes. In Homer Goes to College, he gets radiated just as much as Chris Peterson does in this scene. And Trisha is basically doing Homer's old job, it looks like. Yeah. I like that it's played like an old B-movie. The other doctor saying to her, like, oh, dear, I, <laughs> it's so great that you take such risks. He's like, anything to cure a sour stomach. <laughs> Peterson, though, is in the chamber. Oh, my God. Hey, watch it. Hey, hey, get your dirty hands off me, pal. It's a little touchy-feely, if you know what I mean. Get some help, will you? Are you all right? Yeah, no, I feel fine. I'm just a little tingly all over, that's all. Especially in my groin area. Kind of feels like it feels after I take a shower with that really minty soap. <laughs> wow, my sour stomach's gone. How did you get in there? Oh, <laughs> isn't that the greatest hiding place? <laughs> Lucky for me, my house key just happened to fit the lock. <laughs> hey, can I keep this? <laughs> my, but we're a selfish baby, aren't we? My, that we're a selfish baby, aren't we? What a silly lie that is. Watching this uh, always puts me in a good mood because even though Chris is deluded, he's always so positive and in control. Yes, that uh, yeah. it just makes me feel good the man getting him out of it he's like this guy's molesting me keep your hands to yourself buddy <laughs> some good carbon uh, rod jokes although this one is irradiated yes yeah an inanimate carbon rod Markin loves it and you know her thing worked he also did have his sour stomach fixed but also i guess he was rendered there's another good thing on the commentary where they just say like well trisha can fall in love with him eventually because she knows he'll be dead in like six weeks and he's, <laughs> he's 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 so irradiated from this i will say a joke that doesn't fully work and would work much better in animation is is him saying like you cuckoo clocks are off seven minutes here because the joke i guess is that he thinks the alarms are cuckoo clocks and he mm. looks at his watch to be like oh those oh, are going off on time i didn't quite but understand that joke you're right that's my guess on yeah. the intention of it but in animation 
much easier to express i'd say peterson was directly told she's a doctor and a scientist he's in her lab (laughs) but he remembers her as a nude mud wrestler or something (laughs) and i also do love any chance they did everything they could with chris elliott's butt like he shoved his butt in the camera once an episode i think did chris elliott invent twerking that's my new article i'm gonna do <laughs> there's a funny joke in one of the episodes and that chris wants gus to recognize him so he bends over to show him he's wearing jordash jeans that's right and it, the shot is uh, gus holding a shotgun and chris bending over <laughs> that's right oh my god that's such a shot oh, and, and the american talks about in the gangs episode that chris sits down weird in a chair backwards and he just shoves his butt at the camera or when he's doing a sting operation he blocks the camera that joke about the hidden camera is also just homer wearing the giant yeah. camera hat as well yes and i also feel like we're talking about chris elliott's ass i also feel like i'm being gaslit by all these jokes about chris being fat yeah because yeah. chris has the most like average build i, I think he's uh, less overweight than most humans in america you know i would love to have chris elliott's build man and I, if I had to take having his hairline to have his build, <laughs> I'd do it in a heartbeat. I also love Peterson saying, like, to have babies together, if someone would just tell us how, it's <laughs> how that's done. <laughs> he also imagines they'd have one ass together. They got away with that ass. Yeah. It's, I get it. You want to say ass. Like, I think that, too, is why Merkin, his first episode, Rosebud, he's like, Homer's butt on screen right now. I can never get away with a butt in live action. So <laughs> a long shot of Homer's butt. Chris is unfortunately turned down. Really, I'm very, very flattered and you're very, very sweet, but I feel that the best way to handle this is with total honesty and, well, I'm just not attracted to you. I'm sorry. All right, I see how it is, huh? Miss run him over, save his life and leave him, huh? Miss working with radioactive isotopes and then he surprises her, Miss says she doesn't love him even though he says he loves her. Okay. Oh, Miss looks at him like he's nuts. (laughs) Miss averts her eyes and walks away. Miss, uh, Miss interrupts him in the middle of a sentence. Miss? All right, fine. I don't need you, baby. No, I don't need you at all. There are plenty of other fish out there in the sea of recklessly driving cars. No, don't feel sorry for me, because I feel sorry for you. Because I've already forgotten your name. Trisha! So Chris is alone, glowing in his bedroom. Uh, Again, very Homer joke. Yeah. Yes. Homer goes to college when he comes out of that test chamber and and (laughs) still glowing. That's very similar. With with this episode more than others, we're asked to take a real journey with this character where no other show would make the main character an obsessive stalker. Yes. But I think, I mean, it was a less sensitive time, so this idea was a little more acceptable. But I think they get away with it because Chris gets a taste of his own medicine and is later murdered. Yes. So they know what they're doing. It's also about teaching a bad lesson in the yeah. end, too. And always, stalking is not treated normally the way you would, which that is the intended joke. But And yeah. at best, he's just annoying the woman and not, a, you know, a serious threat. And she yeah. easily escapes him. <laughs> Though there is, there's a little threat in his eyes in a few scenes. Yes. But I also just love his insane rant about just describing everything she's doing. As he's saying, like, not only do I feel sorry for you, but he's like, Miss walks away and averts her eyes. This, interrupts it. this could be a dramatic scene with a lot of tension if the laugh track wasn't there and if yeah. they were playing it a little differently 
<laughs> it's a very funny smash cut to him screaming Trisha while glowing green. And in comes Gus for his one scene in the episode. I love first. The only reason he brought out the Geiger counter was that he was worried it was broken. And once yeah. he finds out that Chris is radioactive, he is not concerned for Chris or himself. He's just happy his machine is not broken. Chris tells Gus all about his new love. Gus, I just met the woman of my dreams. The kind of dreams that can make a mess, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway, she's gorgeous and she's a genius, but for some reason, she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. <laughs> oh, and I can't get her out of my head. Everywhere I look, I see her face. Well, you got pictures of her plastered everywhere. <laughs> oh, oh, so I do. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. For a second there, I thought I was going out of my live a snap mind. <laughs> Listen, kid. I've been through this unreachable broad crap myself. <laughs> Sally Friedman, gorgeous, platinum blonde. Had a backside that went on forever. <laughs> I told her I was crazy about her, but she wasn't interested. I tried everything. Flowers, presents, singing outside her window. What happened? Her husband and two teenage sons beat the snot out of me and made me drink dog urine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I love his story because never are you thinking that he is describing a woman who must be in her late 30s, if not yeah. 40s, and that who lives in a home with a husband and children. So that is so insane that he was made to drink dog urine. Like, that's extra funny. To they me. beat him up and then made him drink dog piss. Uh, uh, I love, too, that he's just like, they have such disrespect for a cop. They're like, yeah, this former cop is a psycho who would use his power only evilly. That's what I love about guys. They were ahead of their time in, you know, making fun of cops. And I think the reveal works because when he says you've got pictures of her plastered all over, you don't really see them until yeah. the reveal. I mean, if you look behind Chris, they're very out of focus and Merkin was worried that that blew the reveal. But for me, it didn't. I forgot yeah. about that joke. If you know the joke and are looking for it, then sure, you can make it out. I think they successfully hid the joke enough for the zoom out reveal again in animation when everything you have such complete control over everything that's in frame yeah you can execute those jokes better but and there's at least four different pictures of that actress yes yeah in they, various different <laughs> configurations uh they joke on the commentary too they're like oh this doctor has a lot of headshots like she's an actress or something <laughs> this is also a very very murkiny thing that happened a lot on the simpsons where someone almost learns the right lesson and is then told no do the wrong thing <laughs> Of course, Gus tells him to be a better stalker. I'm not telling you to forget her. I gave up on that major babe, and look where it got me. 17 beers a night and a nudie magazine bill that could pay for a shiny new trailer home. <laughs> I don't understand. Are you telling me I should call her? Any loser can do that. you got to show her that you're different. Don't just call her. Call her every 15 minutes. <laughs> Write her endless, rambling, deranged letters in your own blood. Dog her every step. Show her that you care with the passion of a psychotic maniac. Yes, yes. And you think she'll like this? As a cop, I've seen the scenario a hundred times. And it worked? Never. Usually wound up with somebody getting shot. But, therefore, I follow the beauty of the logic of this. The odds must be due to change. Gus, Gus, if you weren't a man, I could give you a big wet kiss right on the lips, right now. <laughs> I'm not ruling that out for later. <laughs> Let's get stalking. 
I like Gus's uh, formula there. If you follow yeah. the logic, if you follow the logic, the odds are yeah, the odds have to mean it works. I also love his description of like seventeen beers a night and a nudie magazine bill. <laughs> He's thinking like, oh, I could have bought a trailer home by now with how much I spend on pornography. Like again, no show would have a co-star be if it was a network commitment that Chris is too weird that Peterson has to move out of his parents' house because he's too unlikable. I can't believe that they're fixed to that. Okay, he moves in with a guy who's maybe in more nuts than he is. Yeah, it just only alcoholism slows him down. Uh, and then the way he talks to other cops of just like, no, come on, I want to shoot this guy. All right, we'll give you a gun, sure. There's lots of police brutality jokes later in the series. Oh, so many good in ones. the time travel yeah. episode, especially. Uh, also, when Nora Dunn holds him hostage, the police are like, they they literally arrest Sharon and like, eh, by the time it's all sorted out, we'll be in the clear. <laughs> Peterson is sold on this plan. We get to hear Animotion's obsession. Yeah, that song rules. I mainly hear the keyboard riff and things, not the lyrics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love the use of, like, then new music or mm -hmm. newish. I mean, it was like five years old. For the S&M episode that has the Master and Servant song, like, that was a real deep cut I liked hearing. On the DVD, you can see, like, about 30 seconds extended version of this. Oh, uh, I missed that. Okay. Not the most clear DVD menus, I'll say, on there. You got to dig. But you can see a little more of stuff of him appearing on TV and waving at her and a little more of the oven bit. I love on that oven where she, like, kicks it closed with her foot. That's <laughs> Him appearing in the oven is a great gag. And, I mean, a lot of this reminds me of Simpsons. But yep. when she's changing channels, he's on every channel. It reminds me of when uh, Burns takes over the TV network. Yes. And yeah. he's on every channel, too. <laughs> it's, again, worth referencing that Rosebud was the first one written yeah. of the Merkin run. So... Maybe that's why it is the most get a lifey of them, I think. Homer goes to college, actually, is probably a little more, but. And an amazing joke in which she's in her lab looking under microscopes, uh, <laughs> and Chris is on one of the slides, and she rinses off the slide and puts it back under the microscope, and he's a little damp and, like, playfully, like, chiding her. Yeah, I love the... his little finger wag, like, come on. I love his act out on TV of taking off his space helmet and acting like he's not breathing. He's like, I'm just kidding. Like... And, and playfully shooting at her with the gun when he's a oh cowboy. Oh, God, yeah. This is another one of those benefits American had on Simpsons animation can make all this work with a great animator which he fortunately had but in this it really just counts on Chris Elliott understanding the joke and executing it well and he does it perfectly every shot yeah like, with no dialogue in this montage uh, and that time-lapse shot that's where they reuse the dummy that they'd run over earlier and they just put a dummy outside of one of the universal homes too I the song's just great I like hearing that song he liked using bad song to cover long sequences most I'd say every other episode had a lengthy music montage I have Georgie girl in my head yes, because of uh, the montage from when he moves out i think that is in the first episode that's where <laughs> yes. tweeted a great joke from that one one of my favorite jokes and i forgot i was in this but i tweeted it last night it's another montage of no dialogue and chris is enjoying his day of being free he moved out of his parents house he sees a little girl pushing a stroller he goes in to look at her dolly it's the severed head of an old man <laughs> and that's just the joke and he just walks away like, yeah. yeah so the next morning as the montage ends Chris meets her outside and glues his hand to her shoe and just his lines are funny about how he wants to like they're going to roast in hell together if they don't end up 
but the way Chris Elliott looks up at her with an insane look in his yeah. eye is so good. I like when they sometimes will drop the, you know, endless positivity facade that he hides under and she's just a pure psychotic lunatic who is going to become violent. Oh, <laughs> uh, and just this blank stare like, we'll be rotting in hell together, Trisha. <laughs> Please, Trisha! And he just uh, becomes a high-pitched weirdo again. But at this point, Trisha, she knows the deal, takes off her shoe and puts on a brand new shoe and continues walking and peterson now needs to stock up on supplies you are the most gorgeous perfect sexy man i've ever seen with the possible exception of charles Durney. thank you very much <laughs> oh you know i also need some deodorant <laughs> all this running around has really made me stink up a storm <laughs> Woo! run for your lives <laughs> I must know your name. Uh, Chris. Chris, uh, Chris something. <laughs> oh, hey, throw in some of those condoms, would you? You know, in case this harassing thing pays off. <laughs> I love you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you have a very kind and courteous manner about you, miss. <laughs> and people say the world has become cold and impersonal. <laughs> well, I say poo on them. <laughs> So that is Amy Asbeck, and uh, Chris walks into this very sparsely decorated pharmacy and to get foot pads. My feet are one big pussy blister, is what he announces. Oh, God. That makes it ten times funnier that all he says are disgusting things, and Amy Asbeck just falls in love with him. She's so funny here. She's an underrated comedic actress. Think right after this show, but pre-Wings, she does Robin Hood Men in Tights, right? I believe she's made Marion in there in, in her chastity belt. And of course, Merkin got her on the show because she was married to John Ritter when he was alive. Mm. And of course, Merkin worked on Three's Company. Yeah. Every single story I hear about John Ritter is like, oh, he's the nicest person who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And it's really everyone. Everyone is just sad. It's like Phil Hartman. Just one of those stories like, oh, I wish he was still with us kind of thing. No cash, no jobs, no hope, no Ritter. Uh, <laughs> Yasbeck, I mean, we all knew her from Wings. All yeah. of the, I think people... Who doesn't <laughs> know her from Wings? Wings had an amazing cast. I know everybody craps on it as like, uh, what an average sitcom that was always on USA. Only because maybe it seems like Al Jean and Mike Reese had a real like hate boner for Wings or something. Yeah, it's weird now because Al Jean would like never be mean to any TV show. Yeah. But back then they're like, yeah, stupid Wings. Maybe it was Mike Reese was the devil on his shoulder like saying, like, let's just say every show we think <laughs> sucks. The devil says... <laughs> Uh, there are limits to even my powers when it comes to renewing wings. <laughs> uh, next up on wings, eh, who cares? <laughs> but Yasmik's so funny. She is great as this like stunned, wide-eyed lunatic who, yeah. well, speaking of Simpsons jokes that remind us of that, him going like, thank you, is very much, yes, I do like working at the bowling alley. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite getting it, especially when the exact same thing is happening to Chris that he's doing to somebody else. <laughs> yes, it's also Homer refusing to learn a lesson that's clearly in his face. I will say that condom joke is very horrifying. Let's just say that Peterson thinks that it will lead to consensual sex, and that's why he wants condoms and nothing. That's... Let's not think of any darker readings <laughs> on that joke. That's how I read it. Yes, yeah. Another extended DVD scene also has him buying eye drops at the pharmacy because he's hurting his eyes staring at her glowing loveliness, and sometimes he accidentally stares at the sun for a while because he <laughs> thinks it's her. And then Yazbek asks him for his address, and he's like, oh, sure, and he just tells her where she he lives and that also leads to him then using his eye drops in the next shot while staring up at the okay. window so emma throws multiple rocks at him here we only see one rock smash him in the face 
after Chris gets hit in the face, he then thinks he hears a Keebler elf, which again, very insane, thinks that a Keebler elf is following It's real and <laughs> 20 feet away. But that's when he meets his stalker, first thinking that she's mad that he stole a giant bra to wear. She lets him know really what's going on. You see, I love you, Chris. I've loved you from the first moment I saw you, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make you mine. That is the sickest, most perverted thing I have ever heard in my entire life. Uh. Now, please, leave me alone. I'm trying to stalk somebody here. <laughs> no, Chris. I'll never leave you alone until you realize that you love me, too. Well, fine, then I'll just move over here. Uh, then I'll move over here. Uh. You managed to follow me everywhere. What are you, some kind of evil superhero? Come on. Come on. Don't. Good obsession again. Uh, if you're going to pay for it once, play it twice. There's fewer clips for this one because there's the six minutes of this episode's obsession, I think. Yeah, uh, her montage is shorter. There's a few yeah. good jokes in there. I love him putting on the sweater and suddenly she's in it with him. That's such and he a starts great screaming. <laughs> it's extra funny after hearing their note on it on the commentary. There's no reason for Peterson to have a microscope in his garage. Yes. They repeat the microscope. Like, why does he have a microscope? Why is he looking at it? <laughs> That's so great. And she is on the microscope slide now. Uh, I love that. He's being driven insane by his own stalker. And then after that sequence is over, it cuts back to Trisha in her home. And she's playing it very realistic. Like she's terrified of like, he has to be here somewhere. And she sits down and finds out that he's inside the couch. He's the guy under the seat. <laughs> He is. Oh, my God, man. Merkin jokes that he wanted Elliot to, like, explode out of the couch, but there was really no fast way to do it. Again, that's where animation is where it makes much more sense for him. Chris learns that he may never get this girl. Chris! Get out! Get out! Get out! Oh, oh, wait a second. Do you mean to tell me that you're not in love with me yet? Look, lady... If you don't start warming up to me within the next two years, I might just start to lose interest here. And one day, you will look under that dear sweet rump of yours, and I just may not be there. Chris, I am never going to warm up, even if you follow me around for the rest of both our stinking lives. Geez, you know, for the first time, what you're saying to me, I think has finally gotten through to me. I understand now, I really do. Really? Yes, you don't love me. Right. And you'll never love me. Exactly. Until we dance together. <laughs> yeah, no, just a sweet cha-cha-cha to break the ice. Come on. <laughs> I love to watch Chris Elliott dance. He's yeah. so funny and bad at it. I do wish, you know, that song is fine. It's a good background music, but I wish they were playing the tinkly piano song Alley Cat that yeah. got played so much in the show until it was finally a joke in Bad Fish. I watched that Bad Fish episode most recently and I thought it was in this one too and I just forgot but no, it's just a cha-cha <laughs> song. I do believe it's Alley Cat he dances to in the one where he becomes a male escort. Yeah. To, yeah. But I wouldn't even know the name 
name of that song had Brian Doyle Murray not just said Alley Cat's our favorite song. And then we cut away to the giant collection of Alley Cat records he has. <laughs> yes, backups. Uh, he can't because he's used to people destroying it over and over. I like to, again, he almost learns his lesson but still refuses to. A very Homer thing. He vows to maybe uh, stop. <laughs> when I think of his dancing, I think of him in Groundhog Day. Like a little after this, he does mm. Groundhog Day. He's so good in that. Old ladies fall in love with him in that too. And as he is going to fix the speaker, that's when Amy Yazbek pops out of it, reveals she had also broken into the home and had been hiding at the same place. And Chris almost learns his lesson. Oh, wait, there's something more. The way she's been following and harassing me, that's not unlike the way I've been following you. And it didn't feel good to me to have her following me that way. So maybe it's not making you feel so good. And maybe instead of making you happy, I've been torturing you. Yes, Chris, you have. Oh, oh, how terribly insensitive of me. Oh, Trisha, I, I feel so bad about this that, well, maybe I'll stop. Maybe? No, no, you're right. Only losers don't finish with this story. <laughs> right. And I'll never stop either. And how's this for an unexpected twist? If I can't have you, no one can. <laughs> well, Evelyn, you can't buy my love by showering me with trinkets and shiny knives. <laughs> no, Chris, she's going to kill you. Oh. Oh! Hey. <laughs> Maybe you'll love me in another life. <laughs> and then a man falls through the ceiling. Uh, I forgot about this plot twist. This very much feels like a murking first draft kind of thing that it's hilarious in, in execution, but the idea of like they reach an ending where Chris almost learns his lesson and he's like, nah, you know what? I'm not going to give up. And then a character literally says, well, here's a plot twist for you. Yes. And, and then I can totally see Merkin saying like, boy, I've written to the point where she's going to stab him. I need two more pages. Um, A guy falls out of the ceiling and then a new thing happens. <laughs> I'd love Elliot's way of slowly explaining out loud how he's starting to realize like, oh, this is like what I'm doing to you. That's some complicated dialogue. So yeah. kudos to Chris Elliot. God, he's so good. And one thinks that the knife is being presented as nice for him. And then he thinks he has to be told it's bad that he would be killed as well. <laughs> I think, too, this was kind of for the fans. If you had been watching the show at this point for this new episode and you've seen all the ones previous, you're waiting for Chris to die. You're like, how does Chris die? So it's a fake out on his murder, too, because you think like, oh, this is how he's going to die. So once she leaves, you're like, oh, I guess he's not getting killed this episode. <laughs> but yes, Russell falls from the sky. He's played by Sandy Helberg, who was in a lot of Mel Brooks movies mm. and a million other small roles. If you looked him up, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that was the doctor who is going to undo the nose job in Spaceballs. Spaceballs yes. yes. I love his line of dialogue. I've been watching you following him, following her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his son would grow up to be Big Bang show star Simon Helberg, or yeah, co-star, co-star. But he falls out, then she, Yazbek, as she hears about how much this stalker loves her, she says that she had never been interested in him before, but since he knows how to treat a gal, yeah, she'll marry him. <laughs> Another one of Merkin's screw you endings. Yeah. I Famous uh, for that. Oh, also, Elliot thinks that he's a dog at first. He that's right. That's so, right. Uh, it's like, hey, well, look at this dog. You're like, Chris, that's clearly a man. <laughs> oh, you're right. You are a genius. I love that. But yes, on the commentary, they recognize it is a very intentionally awful ending that 
after all of this <laughs> trisha then reveals that she was just playing hard to get and the stalker being stalked actually did turn her on so the stalker's name is russell the the final stalker and he says saw your killing spree is a good time to confess that's great oh what a great line god but yes one last clip as chris seemingly finds love at the end don't you want me out of your life forever can't go play hard to get <laughs> you mean you're madly in love with me now the way i'm madly in love with you get real chris yet i have a certain interest maybe i just want to do a paper on you or a at least some electroshock experiments. Oh, electroshock. Oh, boy, this is like a dream come true. First I get an incredibly gorgeous genius girlfriend, and then I get to be an experimental guinea pig. <laughs> no offense to our Italian friends there. <laughs> I was just talking to Russell, and we've decided that I should finish what I started and stab you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, well, good thing you're a doctor and a surgeon, huh? <laughs> Unfortunately, Chris, stab wounds are the one injury I don't know a damn thing about. <laughs> Gee, I have the worst luck with men. And she just sits down and lets him seemingly <laughs> bleed to death on her floor. <laughs> I was thinking this last scene could be a sketch by itself, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a very Mr. Showy set, too. Yeah, I'd say. the cheap, you mean. <laughs> yes, cheap looking. Like, well, if that band was instead David Cross, it would be very believable. Too. Yeah. yeah. It falls out of the ceiling. I just love all of the twists. And, you know, Chris wasn't always dying in season one, but season two is when they decide, let's just kill him all the time. <laughs> and all the other times he dies, it's a little, you know, over the top. Like, he falls into an exploding bed. He drinks the juice that makes you explode. Yes. His head is torn off by Sharon and Gus and kicked down the street that's one of the most violent deaths he suffers uh, it's not a cartoonish head rip it is a bloody stump with blood shooting Squirting. out of it yes. but i like how realistic this is just the knife is just shoved in his heart yeah and he gets yes. a chance to react to it <laughs> like ooh, yeah you know this one of all his deaths it really reminds me of python and i think merkin uh uh, was drawing from it if you remember well there's many python sketches but i was thinking of the end of life of brian where they keep teasing the audience like oh we made you think he wouldn't die and someone would save mm. him but no he's gonna be crucified like this constant no you don't want to see this person die we we saved him nah not really he's dead oh wait is it? Uh, same with this like all right for once we're not gonna kill him she's not gonna stab him and then she just walks back and <laughs> says you know what i decided i will stab you i like how sudden it is too it's great and uh, one thing i forgot to mention is that the last time i rewatched all the series was when one up shut down and i lost my job mm. in 2013 and i was between 30 and 31 oh. so i was rewatching this thinking boy you know what chris's paper job boy is no less uh, dignified than writing about video games for a living <laughs> and is this going to be my life but eventually i got employment again but it was the perfect time to rewatch get a life and now chris is a young man and i'm old yeah we're much older than chris elliott now it's uh, and chris peterson the character hey you know as the career of chris elliott has showed us it doesn't end in your 30s you keep going and going mm -hmm. he's in his 60s now still doing great great stuff 
this ending is so mean and ridiculous i do love it this is an insane episode with bad sexual politics to yeah. it too but intentionally so like chris is murdered and then you see his corpse desecrated at the end yes. because it just run over by an endless uh, loop of cars i love that and, and merkin would totally admit that like yes we don't actually believe that stalking a woman will make her eventually fall in love with you it's that this sitcom has to teach the wrong lesson every time it would be a failure of it as a show if the correct lesson was taught mm-hmm. like that merkin would much rather have a bad lesson be taught than choose to do a good lesson that makes you feel warm and fuzzy it's why even in the warmest and fuzziest simpsons episodes they still had to end in an fu yeah just like even one of my all-time favorite merkin ones is bart's comet and that does end with like a big hug but then afterwards they have to be like we're all troubled that homer was right (laughs) for once i'm scared too uh i can see sharon being terrified that chris peterson was actually right about something for once with his insane ramblings oh boy that would be a great good life episode the comet comes to town and they've all got to hide all three characters that exist at this point (laughs) it was so fun to revisit the show and to rewatch the whole thing and then crack back open my dvds uh so so good Uh, great one to do for april fools definitely yes hope everyone out there enjoyed it who knows maybe there'll be a get a life mini series Mm -hmm. in the books i think we're getting more comfortable with doing live action stuff so yeah yeah i feel like i've only begun to think about this show and yeah i would totally think you know who knows uh in the fall maybe it'll be on our mini series list of choices our 10 favorite get a life just so Duckman won't make it again <laughs> Duckman has a new challenger again <laughs> uh but thanks everyone out there for listening if you want to support the show and get all these episodes one week ahead of time and ad free please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons sign up there for five bucks a month you'll get just that but also access to all of our mini series the current one that's running right now it just started is talking of the hill season two part one that's 11 new episodes of talking of the hill only for people that are at the five dollar level or higher there is so much going on behind that paywall and if you sign up now you get everything that we've done behind the paywall since we started this patreon nearly four years ago and that is over a hundred bonus podcasts if you like listening to us talk about shows we've done so much of it that you haven't heard yet and there is also a ten dollar level if you sign up for that you get all the five dollar stuff of course but also access to one make a long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry you are talking about the what a cartoon movie podcast our premium podcast we do once a month for the ten dollar and up folks you hear the free version of it each month on this what a cartoon feed but if you want to hear us talk about shows often for over three or even four hours you need to sign up to hear us talk about movies like last month's ducktales the movie treasure of the lost lamp before that the 1995 studio ghibli film whisper of the heart and a giant back catalog of so many films over two years worth that's over a hundred hours of additional extra amazing podcasts on top of all of the other great miniseries we did at the five dollar level so please sign up today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo and my other podcast is retronauts that's a classic gaming podcast about old video games you can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month henry what about you follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g anytime i've got cool stuff going on i tweet about it and if you're following us on twitter how are you not yet following the official talking simpsons network account at talk simpsons pod 
at Talk Simpsons Pod. We'll keep you up to date when new stuff comes out on our Talking Simpsons podcast on what a cartoon, what a cartoon movie, mini series like Talking of the Hill, polls, news, all of that. You will stay up to date when new stuff's going on in the Talking Simpsons universe if you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time for the Death Note episode Rebirth, and we'll see you then. You really should move or I'll run over you again. <laughs> You're right. Jeez. Oh, I am a silly ass, am I not? <laughs> oh. I love you, Trisha Paddington.